0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to episode number 48 of Sports Cards Live. Joining me tonight will be Adam, the Real 27 Guy. Before we bring out Adam, I want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Dustin, from YouTube's The Personal Finance Dad channel. We had a great conversation. We talked about zagging in the hobby, changing your strategy, population reports, many more things. Check out that episode. It's living on the YouTube channel in the archives. Last Saturday joining me was Eric Norton from Beckett Live Presents. Another great conversation. We talked about the challenges of pricing cards for price guides, among many other things. He was an awesome guest, has his own show. Check it out as well. I also want to thank my after hours guest from Saturday, my good friend Amit Acharya. We had a great discussion. We talked about what may, what is a rookie card? What should be a rookie card? And is the definition too narrow? Um, and, and it was a great conversation. Check that one out. This coming Saturday, joining me will be John Newman from the Sports Card Nation podcast, as well as Hobby Hotline. Next Wednesday, joining me is going to be Jordan Hagedorn. Jordan is a Brett Favre super collector. He does a podcast called For the Hobby. He's also an NFL agent. Should be really interesting and insightful. So check out that episode next Wednesday with Jordan. Want to welcome all the new viewers joining tonight. Thanks to Adam for bringing new viewers to the show. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. Please like the channel, leave comments, all that stuff. And, and but most importantly, come back again. Come check out another episode. Um, at the end of the show, we're going to be doing card of the day and the sports cards live five with Adam. So that should be a lot of fun. As always, your comments and your questions are in play tonight. So don't be shy, fire away. And let's get into it. Tonight's guest is Adam. Adam goes by the Real Twenty Seven Guy on Instagram, and he's actually an Instagram legend. He's up, he almost has four thousand subscribers right now. He does this top one hundred countdown once a year, where he goes through his collection and shows you all the cards, uh, well, his top one hundred cards in order of value from hundred down to one. Really cool stuff. Um, he also joined me on episode number twenty six back in July. So if you like this episode tonight. You can go back and watch that one. We had a great chat back then. He has a pioneering podcast called The Basketball Card Park, The Basketball Card Podcast. And he has a new magazine called The Basketball Card Fanatic. He hails from Salt Lake City, Utah. He's a Utah Jazz fan. Let's bring him out. My man. There he is. Adam, how are you, buddy?
1: Wait, that way, um, I'm, yeah. great.
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me on again, Jeremy. I'm I've been looking forward to this all week. Man, it's it's my pleasure to have you back. You were you were awesome last time. It's fun to have you back again. Man, listen, I mean, we had we had we had a monster sale in the hobby not too long ago, just last week. I'm really curious on what your response and what your reaction was to that. I'm talking about the Giannis logo man that sold for over $1.8 million breaking the previous record of a of a modern basketball card being the LeBron James, both cards sold by Golden Auctions. What You're a basketball card expert. I mean, you're writing the magazine now. What was your reaction to that sale when you saw what happened with it?
1: It, it feels like we have a new record every week now, right? It's crazy. Um, you know, when I first saw that that card was going up for auction, I knew it was going to be a huge sale. Uh, people traditionally think about the Logoman Auto as the very best rookie card, um, and so and, and and if if push comes to shove, and you're comparing different Logo Man rookie autos between you know National Treasures to Immaculate, most of the big time collectors feel like National Treasures is the best. So maybe the most popular player since LeBron. I mean since LeBron's rookie year, maybe the best rookie card of that player. I think there's a case to be made that it's that it's the best card since since 2003 Exquisite. I probably wouldn't say that it is, but I do think that it's in in a, a group of a group of 5 or 10. There's some things about the card that aren't perfect and we can talk about that, but I mean this world of two million dollar cards is definitely like a crazy new world right it's not a world that i live in i'd like to pretend but i'm i'm more of a normal collector than that right like that that's just a ton of money but uh it didn't shock me that it did incredibly well
0: yeah no man i mean i thought um you know going into it and and hearing ken golden speak about it i think he was he was hopeful it would hit 2 million. It came really close, but it did beat the record that he set previously the month before or maybe two months before and at the end of June with the LeBron James Gold RPA out of 23 that sold for, that was 1.8. I bil- I thought it was 1.845. I'm just going to share my screen here for a second, guys, and let's have a look because this is the email or it's a, it's, a, it's a part of the email that I just, oh, wrong one. Whoop! here we go. Hold on a second. There we go. This is what uh Golden Auctions has sent out, kind of showing here's what here's the records that they've broken recently. So this is the the Giannis right here. This is the card we're talking about: 1.857 million dollars. And it's pretty amazing. it's a one of one. So, and we're gonna talk about market capitalizations a little bit later, but you know, it's a one of one. So the market cap on this card is exactly that: 1.857 million dollars. But the LeBron James here, I mean. It sold for 1.8. That was actually, I thought it was 1.845 million with the buyer's premium. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, the the Giannis still beat it. And I don't know that anyone was, um, like, were you expecting it to sell for more than the, than the LeBron RPA sold for here at 1.8? I
1: hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't really thought, you know, that it would or, or that it wouldn't. Um, I think that as you let me, let me interject something where you talk about market cap here. That's in this is an interesting place to talk about it because you have a situation where you have one card versus a card that there's 23 of, but, but I think there's only two in a nine, five grade. And so it's kind of like a sub, you know, a subgroup of the 23. Um, if you were to figure out what the market cap is of those 23, it's, it's a lot, right? It's like 10, it's, it's, you know, over $10 million. It's way, way more than the Giannis is. Um, So, you know, you have to ask yourself what kind of collector you are. Are you somebody who would rather have the one card and maybe the very best card of a player and and have it be of Giannis or or one of the very best rookie cards of LeBron and have one of those 23? Um, I'm somebody who actually likes the one of one thing more than the one of 23 thing. But there are different type of collectors out there. Certainly, LeBron is just way more popular than Giannis is. Giannis has this incredible following, but, but LeBron's got you know, one of the greatest followings of all time. So they're, they're in the same class, but different types of cards. The more interesting thing to, de- to see today would be if one of LeBron's um, Logo Man Auto rookie cards was to go up for op- open auction. And yes, I think that would sell way, way higher than the Giannis
0: yeah i think so too i wasn't i you know when when the honest went for sale i didn't think it would sell for as much as lebron did simply because of the, the the two different players i mean people there's more people that are after a rookie card even if it's a gold parallel i consider that a rookie card i think most people do nowadays um you know more people want that card i think and the player i mean lebron james is just accomplished and Giannis is not you know he's got a couple of mvps now i right yeah he's got one or two mvps two yeah so i mean he is accomplished but he's, he hasn't won yet and lebron has so that that comes into play all the time but the fact that it did beat it i think is it's just pretty awesome and i mean even if even if it's not um like i, I wonder now if lebron would sell would it beat the honest if they if they were if the order was reversed what would happen now right i I think the LeBron, the LeBron people out there might be like, hey, there's no way we're going to let Giannis beat LeBron on a single card auction. So uh, it, it could sell for one incremental bid more today. We'll never know. That's a hypothetical, of course, but it's interesting nonetheless. I'm just going to bring up that slide one more time. Let's just take a look because it's really reflective of what's going on in the market what's been going on in the market like this year because the top four cards have all sold this year and not only this year, but all of them since June. With the the Mike Trout here being the third card, I mean that look at that three point eight million dollars, so basically double what the LeBron and the Giannis did. And I'm wondering, it's a one of one as well. So if it's a one of one of a player who, I mean, he's very popular, but I've asked I asked a few people today, and they have never heard of Mike Trout. People have heard of Giannis. People that I asked anyway. So my question is, or, or what I'm wondering, and I, I think it's interesting to discuss is does the fact that the trout sold for double the Giannis and again, they're both one of one rookie year cards. Does it mean that the bat that the baseball market is twice the size of Giannis uh, of the basketball market, or does it mean that trout is twice as popular as Giannis? What do you have any kind of thoughts on that? I do. I think that as you look at two, one of ones, it's a data point, but it's
1: literally like the smallest sample size that we could use. Now, it's an interesting one because it's in both cases, it's one of their best cards um, for me to think about, you know, which one, which market size is greater. I would probably take an approach where I was looking, I would look at more, I would look at something like a, a whole quantity of a run and compare that to another whole quantity and like the, the, the market cap of those two runs. And that's how I would determine, you know, which one, which one is larger, but, Um, I think you're I think you're exactly right that two of the very biggest basketball cards sold and they sold for less um, than the biggest than the biggest baseball card of the era. Um, my, My question would be, again, if you were to find the best basketball card of the era, which would be, you know, like I said, like a LeBron Logo Man Auto. And if you put that up
0: against the trout, which one would sell for more? I think that's a good question when we don't know what the answer is. No, I, but it's always fun to speculate and discuss these things, right? For sure. Yeah, I want. I wonder too, man. Um, so you know, there were there were four other cards on that slide. I think it's uh, worthy to just take one more peek and address them. So you've got the the LeBron Gold uh, Top's Chrome Gold Refractor here. I believe three hundred twenty-two thousand dollars. This card is numbered to, I I think it's numbered to five hundred. Is that right? It's to fifty. 50. Wow. Even better. So, and that's why it sells for $322,000. What a, what, what a beautiful card. Um, You know, at the end of the day, it's funny because this card here came out of a pack that in its day was under $5. These cards all up here came out of, well, except for the Trout, the the LeBrons and the Giannis all came out of very expensive packages of cards. It's kind of neat, though, that you can buy a card at different price points and still pull cards that can be worth, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, 10 years later, pretty, pretty darn, pretty darn crazy.
1: So let me ask you on that, Jeremy, if you look at that, if you look at those cards and let's, let's take the baseball cards out of it for a second, let's just talk basketball and let's not think about price at all. If you were to look at those and and, and without regard to price, you were to fi- to pick which one you like the
0: most, which one would you say you like the most? Well, is the one that I would want to own the most? Is that the question? Yeah, without regard to price. This guy right here. Oh, really? Tell me why. Well, first of all, it's it's the rook, it's the true rookie card, if you will. It's the one out of 99. It's uh it's got a nicer patch than the one out of 23 that sold for 1.8 million dollars. So the patch right there makes it more interesting. I would say that looking at it, the autograph on this one is nicer, but this one's not horrible. Um, the one of one logo man Giannis. I mean, yeah, one point eight five million is what it, what it's worth, but it's not a card I covet at all. I'm not a big for myself and my collection, Adam and everybody else out there. I'm not a collector of logo men. <laughs> I'm you know I'm I'm hockey predominantly, as most people know, and the equivalent in hockey are the the NHL shield cards. I don't own a single one. I don't desire a single one. I don't particularly, I mean, they're okay, but I don't think they're awesome. They're not colorful. I like the colorful patches. The NBA Logo Man is more, it's more colorful than the NHL Shield. But for me, I prefer a card that is something that more people can access that uh you know i think it's nicer the mike trout doesn't really interest me at all because um i'm not a big baseball fan i've never seen mike trout play i don't know really much about him i do own his tops update rookie because it's kind of a card that i think is an important card but it's not a card that i uh you know that I have a real emotional attachment to. It's a card I bought because I thought it was a a good holding at the time. So anyway, my answer is this LeBron James, uh, the true rookie card right here. And I mean, a million bucks is a lot of money still. I'd be good owning a card that's worth a million dollars. I don't need to get greedy and go to 1.8 now, do I? But I'm going to flip the question on you, Adam. Which one would you prefer to own out of all the cards? Well, it's easier with you because I know, but I'll let you answer. Well, you know what? I think it's actually a really good question. Um, and and as I ask the
1: question, I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, he's probably going to turn this around on me. I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I would take the dual logo, man, because of the set that it represents. 2003 Exquisite is one of the great sets of all time. It's really inarguably one of the most important basketball sets that has ever been created. And I can, I can say that sort of with authority because it's not a card. It's not actually a set that I own a lot of cards from. I only own two cards from it not pumping it or anything like that. But I recognize the importance of it, that dual logo, man, you know, there, there were three original dual logo men that came out of, of 2003 exquisite. They weren't autographed, right? They did that in subsequent years, but they used the big three, Kobe, LeBron and MJ really the three great players of our last, you know, 30 years, maybe like three, of three of the greatest players of all time. And they paired them in, in each sort of possible way to create these three cards. So for me, that's number one. Number two, at that point, it's really a tough call for me. And I don't know how to answer it after after that. But you hit on something that I think is interesting. And that is that it's really cool that that LeBron gold was accessible by, by almost everybody. Almost everybody could buy a pack for $5. But everything else up there that's of the basketball variety came out of a pack that originally cost at least $500. And... I am somebody who sort of, if you look at my collection, the majority of my very good cards are cards that came out of packs where anybody could have accessed them. And I love that. I love the golden ticket idea. The golden ticket idea loses just a little bit with me when it's out of a box of, you know, it's out of a you know bar of chocolate that costs you 500 bucks. its It's different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now you pose the, the question about which would the, which would the second uh, most desired card on here be, you know, by ourselves. And um, I'm kind of looking around thinking, I mean, you know, the easy answer, well, you know, ignoring the prices, um, it'd be hard to dispute that the same one that you just mentioned, the dual logo, man. I think that that, because it represents the O3 exquisite, the first, the first issue of exquisite, the first issue of the super, super premium sets that to this day, hasn't really been eclipsed there. They haven't been able to come up with something that's better than exquisite in basketball or the cup in hockey. So it's, it's really stood the test of time. The equity in these brands are, you know, th- they're unbeatable as far as the hobby goes. So yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that. And especially ignoring baseball, because I don't think a trout would, would, would beat any, any of these basketball cards for me to be mm-hmm. quite honest, maybe the honest, but I really like this one here too. This uh, the, the gold LeBron Refractor out of fifty is, is a great card too. Okay, man, that was fun. That was really fun. So let's just go to the let's go to the comments. We got some people in the house. We'll welcome Legion to the show as always. Legion, welcome to the show. Jake's there. Jake will be joining me in about a week and a half or so on the show. Jake, welcome. Peter's in the house. Peter says, "Oh, this is this is a true story. Apparently, it's a true story." The guy that owned the Giannis logo man at one point bought it on eBay. Received the card. Paid seven thousand bucks. Received it. Saw some yellow substance on it and returned it. And he went on to blow out forums and he made a post saying, Really sorry to let everybody know, but I had to return the Giannis logo man to the owner because it's not in good enough condition for me.
1: Yeah, well, that guy can I interject on that real quick? Yeah. Yeah, Peter's a smart guy. That's true. The um the I, I don't know if he mentions this. I'm looking at his comment, but the the card that you actually see there, and this is this is the one little bit of um, what's the word that I'm thinking about. This is the one thing that I think people have against the Giannis is that the Giannis that was originally made that 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 user got on blowout and kind of complained about, and it was it was a little weird. I think that guy, I think he might have owned the other Giannis, and he was trying to kind of let the world know that his was better. You know, I think that's maybe what was happening, but I don't really know. I don't really know that story. What I do know is that the card was returned to Panini and they remade the card. So that one that just sold today is actually a re- that sold a few days ago was actually a replacement. Now, some people think that it was replaced and made in a better way because it has more of an original autograph on it, but some people don't like it as much because it wasn't originally pulled, right? It was changed. Um, I would just really love to own the card either way, because unlike you, I see it and I say, that's like Giannis's best card. And I, I see the appeal of it. I do get it. If you were a Giannis collector, that's, you know, that's the card. I own a really big Giannis card, just a single one. And my card is nowhere near anything close to that. Um, That's a huge, huge card, but, uh, but it was replaced and actually changed out and remade. And so And that gives the card, I think, a little bit of a different look from some people.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I did not realize that it was replaced, but that certainly uh, elevates it even further from the card with the yellow stain on it or the yellow substance. But that poor guy, that poor guy that returned it at seven grand. But think about it, back in 2013, $7,000 on a card was a lot more money then than it is today. Nowadays, you, you can't get much for seven grand. But back then, that was a big expenditure. So... Anyway, hopefully the guy hasn't lost too much sleep over it and uh and he's able to <laughs> he's able to go on with his life cuz boy that would be that would be tough to watch nowadays. So, uh Brian's in the house. Brian, welcome to the show. He says I really enjoyed the first issue of Basketball Card Fanatic. So, Brian uh Brian had that received and um, great to hear, Brian. Joe Sackick 19XX Alex in the house. Welcome to the show. Ernie, Tampa Bay up 5 to 1. I did see that before the show and I went heavy on them in my DraftKings tonight, but I'm still... Still and like, I think there were we had 20 guys in it. I was in fourth place before we went live. So we'll see how I how I do through the third period. Jason's in the house. Evening of my brother's visiting. So can't think of a better way to hang out than to watch sports cars live. Oh, and we stopped at your shop today. Hey, Jason, that's good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sure you're having a wonderful evening then. And uh stick around, man. And hello to your brother as well. Jordan Hagadorn in the house. And Jordan, as I said earlier, will be joining me uh in about a week from now. He says these are so referring to the the Golden Auctions results up he says these are public sales i'd imagine that the recent logo man one of one that nat recently bought eclipsed a million dollars so i think it's worth saying nat nat turner is a high profile collector and he's known to own i think he just showed on instagram he owned all three of those dual logo man from 03 exquisite so those cards are now tucked away in a personal collection likely won't see the light of day for 50 years but one guy owns all three of them and uh, it's probably good that he does. I mean, at least everyone knows where they are right now. What is it? What do you think that what does that say to the market, Adam? What, what does it say to the market? What does it mean for the hobby when one collector, a high profile collector with means owns all three of those cards? Perhaps the mo- the three most important basketball cards on the planet. Yeah,
1: three three cards that, that are, that are just, you know, cards that, that we could dream of basically. I think what it tells you is that you're not going to ever get the chance at it again. And the thing that is, is great about that great and terrible is, you know, you have to look at other things that you might want to collect that you might want to buy. If, if you were in the market for that, it also tells us, you know, like you said, Nat has the means to buy, to buy some of these things. It tells you what cards have the potential to do because when those cards first came out of the pack, they weren't million dollar cards, right? I remember when the big the, the most popular of the three cards is the LeBron MJ duel. And at one point I think it sold for 250,000. And I remember at that point thinking a quarter of a million dollars for a basketball card. That sounds insane. It doesn't sound insane anymore. Because like, you know, people who've spent that on cards, I know people who've spent that on cards. We've seen people consolidate collections and want to buy one true, like amazing grail at the end. And so it becomes like this normal thing for people to go out and spend six figures on a, on a basketball. It's not, it's not that unusual. Um, So the thing that it really tells me is, you know, if you, if you can, if you can see the value in something, when it first comes out, you have the potential to do something really special.
0: Yeah. And if you yeah, if you're at the right place in the right at the right time and you can actually, you know, make that card yours, you certainly can. Takes a lot of luck, uh, means luck, patience at times, too. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Jake says, you know, good point to Jordan. A lot of big sales are being made privately. I think, uh, you know, Ken Golden even alluded to that when he was my guest uh, a few weeks back. He said, you know, he's brokered several deals between some of these high end collectors uh, that aren't, you know, where the numbers aren't being publicized. And I think it's kind of good that that occurs, too, because, you know, we always talk about how eBay lacks transparency and we we think it's a problem. And and I, I think to a, to a degree it is. Uh, but when it comes to these super high end cards and deals happening in private, it adds a bit of mystique and it allows us to speculate that, you know, we know now that the mo- the record for the the record for the most paid at public auction for any sports card is that mike trout at 3.8 million dollars but is it truly the most that's ever been paid for a sports card and i'm going to guess it it isn't i mean there's just too many other cards out there and deals that have happened so it, it may it may or may not be i'd guess it Probably this is. It's like it's almost like you know when you're when you're betting on golf. It's like do you take Tiger Woods or do you take the field, right? I'll take the field on that one and say there might be another card that did exceed three point eight million dollars at private sale. But good point by these guys that yeah, there's a lot that goes on behind closed doors that we just don't know about. And really, the of the three logo men that are now owned by by Nat Turner, um, I believe two of them were bought privately and only one at public auction. So. We'll probably never know what what happened uh, with that card. Uh, Yamwax says, I agree, Jeremy, don't understand the affinity for shields and Logoman cards. I like the players, not the league logos. That's part of my my position on it, too. I like that, you know, especially being a hockey guy, first and foremost, we're we're spoiled by such colorful patches that uh, it's hard to give those up for a gray and silver or orange and black uh, NHL shield luckily for the nba logo man it's got it's three colors it's got a bit more design a bit more panache to it it's you know it's uh jerry west silhouette it's it's a more it's a cooler league league emblem i would say 90s hockey collector in the house welcome to you welcome to the show jordan says the Gold Refactor is a needle in a haystack awesome card yeah i mean 50 only right i'd love that sean rob welcome says are these prestigious cards being submitted to beckett BGS because PSA would have demanded a higher value surcharge. That's an interesting question. What do you think of that, Adam? I think it's a great question. Um, if I
1: had to, if I had to state like a general rule, it seems to me that thicker high-end cards go to Beckett, and thinner and thinner high-end cards go to PSA. That's not always true. Um, I'm kind of like Sean says here. Um, I've I've submitted some pretty high-end stuff lately, and um, stuff that people have encouraged me to send to PSA because they felt like um, because of how, of how PSA grades centering that I would actually have a better chance to get a high grade on the card from PSA. Uh, but I I have a fundamental and I have said this, I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say anything negative about PSA, but I, I don't fundamentally believe that part of the uh, cost of grading something should be an increase because of its value. I believe that the process should be identical. I don't believe it should cost more. And, and even though Beckett's made a lot of mistakes recently, I mean, a lot of mistakes in terms of how, how they, how slow they are and their lag time. And some of those things that you've already talked about on your show. Um, I, I don't, I don't like feeling like I, I just don't think it's fundamentally right. that PSA would say, I'm going to charge you more because I'm giving you a higher grade. I just, that that's totally a conflict of interest to me that should not exist. And I, I think they should, I they, they And I understand why they do it for insurance purposes and all that stuff. I,
0: I don't think it's right, though. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I think I think, you know, it's interesting. I've, I never thought about it. You, you, you broke it down to the thickness of the card sort of determining the company that you send it to. I've always thought that and these were these go hand in hand that, you know, modern cards are more often sent to BGS and vintage cards are more often sent to PSA. To me, that's what happened here in, in the case of all those cards. Is that they're modern cards, and the general rule in the hobby is, you know, Beckett for modern, PSA for vintage. Even though I think both are trying to take their piece of the pie from the 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 other uh, eras. So, uh, Alex says I'd go lo- dual logo man too. So there's a vote with uh, on your side for that. Uh, Jake says, yeah, the Golder factor is very alluring to me too. Yeah, it's it's a great card. Bobby Burrell says he loves my honesty, maybe because I chose a card that's, uh, you know a million dollars instead of four million dollars on that page thanks bobby welcome to you uh jordan says i heard panini remade that one of one yana so there you go there's a corroborating what you were saying earlier adam yamak says i love that hockey's exquisite rpas can still be pack pulled from an affordable release so hockey's exquisite rpas are the ones that come out in the cup and it's you know that, that those packs started at 300 dollars in 2005 now they can be up to six seven eight hundred dollars upon a release so expensive but more affordable probably than going back in time and buying a pack of exquisite i don't know what exquisite goes for now you know right out of the gate do you what a what a. although exquisite isn't even really being uh, that 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 question doesn't apply anymore so we won't even ask that one all right jake says very interesting about the honest being a replacement sure is good evening to you dominic welcome to the show amish dave archer welcome to you uh facebook user who i don't know who it is hi boys been away for all sorry i missed so much well hey it's great to have you back whoever you are feel free to post your name in a comment It'd be great to know who we're speaking to and paul cashman welcome back finally off night shift and able to tune in and says welcome back to you adam awesome thank you paul for joining us so the market itself adam you know we just showed those those uh 12 auctions that have or eight, whatever that was on the slide there that have kind of blown away the hobby as of recent record breaker after record breaker after record breaker. What is your general feeling on the state of the market, the state of the hobby right now? You know, we, we and before you answer, you know, we, we went into covid, we went into covid, we took a bit of a dip. People were people were uncertain and very quickly, early mid April, you started seeing it reverse and come up, come up. And now it's just been whew, hockey stick all the way to the sky. You know, any sort of disciplined investor, and I'm going to use that term investor, would, would, would have the red flags, you know, flying everywhere. Um, what do you think? What do you as, as a disciplined collector, you know, you're an investor by default because you have so much money wrapped up in cards like many people do. What's your general feeling on the state of the market right now today at towards the end of September here versus where we where we've been over the past eight, nine months? So your last guest, I think his
1: name was Dustin, talked about needing to zig sometimes while people zag. And, um, you know, when I look at the market in, in a time where there's an incredible increase, I often feel like that's that's what I need to do. But there's times where you do that and then you realize that you even missed out more on the thing that you wanted because it just kept going up more. And that's happened, too. So it's hard to predict. A lot of us who talk a lot in the hobby um, act like it's easy to tell sometimes, and really, it's really hard. It's hard to know when things are going to go up and when they're going to go down. It's hard to know how things will how how different um, behavior or how different events will impact uh, how much people are willing to spend. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a football collector, but I've heard that after Patrick Mahomes won his Super Bowl, his cards actually decreased in value. That's just totally opposite to traditional thinking, right? But it's because it's all a supply and demand game. If everyone who's owning something is owning it to then sell it at a certain time, and then everyone lists it or a, a disproportionate amount of people listed at that time, you know, newsflash, that's an increase in supply, And that may lead to a price that's lower than it was beforehand. But wait, what? Mathematically it makes sense that something would decrease in value after a major achievement. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in other times too. So I think, you know, I think that it's, it's hard to know always what's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And it's just really easy to get confused sometimes. Um, the other thing that i'll tell you that i think is definitely at play here is you see these major purchases that are happening a lot of these major purchases are being made not just by investors as we use them um, as we typically call them um which which would be defined as like an individual who's investing in a card we now have cards that are being invested um in by groups of people um i've talked before on your on your show or in other places about how um, my job my day job is I'm a controller in a private equity firm and what you learn about about investments is that a group of people can get together pool their money to then take ownership of a share of a company or a share of an asset or a whole of an asset as you show some of these prices the thing that's really clear to me is and well I shouldn't say really clear I believe, that what you're seeing is a lot of um, these assets are being purchased by groups of people or by funds, by pools of capital. And, um, and honestly, Jeremy, like, this is something that i I'm not trying to be like, look at me, like, like, let me pat myself on the back. I've literally been talking about this for five, six, maybe 10 years. It was always going to happen. You were always going to have people Um, using the fund model to purchase these rare assets because they are little, I mean, they're little pieces of artwork around, um, you know, modern day heroes that, that are, are super limited, rare, iconic, and sought after by people who are really successful. It was always going to happen. And that's, A large reason why i stopped selling my high-end cards right like unless i have to unless it's to fund another car high-end card why would i sell something that is going to have more and more capital like pushed towards that thing and people like normal individuals will be made um, will be given the opportunity to to own pieces of them right like now the normal person probably can't go out and buy that Giannis card, right? I know I can't. $2 million for a card. It's just, it's not going to happen. But I'll tell you what is possible is if you get 500 people together and they each want to own part of it, they can. And the fund model allows for that sort of thing. It's totally possible. totally makes sense. It's not just, it's not just one or two entities that are doing it. a lot of entities are doing that right now. So, you know, in answer to your question, I think there's different segments of the market and we, We talk about how all of them are doing one thing or doing another when in reality, they're each kind of doing their own thing. And if you look at each segment on its own, um, you know, and you can divide it in 20 different by 20 different dimensions. But like when you look at each segment on its own, sort of what's happening kind of makes more sense.
0: Yeah, no, good, good points, man. Good, good points. Um, You know, it's, we've seen this, this steep incline. And I think a lot of people are starting, you you hear a lot of talk of bubble, bubble this, bubble that. And a lot of people are, are becoming um, a little bit concerned, uh, you know, is it going to last? And I, the approach I'm taking is one of, cautious optimism i'm still optimistic and i'm okay if we see a dip or if we see a, a uh, an adjustment because i think it's healthy in the long run you, you can't just go keep going up forever it just doesn't like economics just don't support that okay. but you know so i'm optimistic about the about the hobby and the value uh, the values of the cards but i'm I'm proceeding cautiously. You know, I may m- I may not be buying as many cards as I would otherwise be buying if we if we haven't if we hadn't just seen this mask, this mass sort of uh, escalation of values. But at the same time, I wonder. Well, hey, as Ken Golden puts it, are we truly in the third inning of a nine inning game right now, or are we closer to the seventh, eighth, or ninth innings right now? And you know, if we are, if we are in the third. Should we still be buying cards today? And that's where it, it's hard to just keep on doing it when you know that a card you can buy today for $10,000, you could have bought a year ago for $1,000 or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? So it, it, it's a tough balance now for us collectors slash investors who still covet these nice cards. But you wonder, do you buy it now and risk the hob- and risk the, a, a major adjustment or correction coming or do you Buy it now and figure, hey, we're just at the beginning. Because as you said, Adam, there's all these new groups of of people buying cards. You you see Rally Road doing it. You see um, the new collectible app and company CEO of whom is going to be joining me on the show next month. So, and he'll talk about what that model looks like. Really interesting stuff and kind of funny. But I've said it before, uh, probably about four years ago. I did a little fund of my own with some friends. I not much, under five figures but, you know, not much under five, put it together, about six or seven guys. We, you know, they each put in a few bucks and I bought some important hockey cards for them, a Bobby Orr rookie, a Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Patrick Waugh and Marc Messier. And that has done very well now for them. Should we sell? They're all going to double their money at least. So I've also thought, you know, that this is coming and happening. Did a mini one myself. And, but now we're finally, you know, I think once you hit a million bucks for a card, modern card even you're gonna see more of it more people are interested in the modern players and then than the the vintage players because the modern players they're on the news they're on the highlights every day I think so I think it took modern a modern player card to sell for 1.8 million dollars for these funds to really gain some traction. Does that does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah I, I agree with everything you just said. I just think that you know when you think about your your point about things can't go up in perpetuity is, is exactly right. The thing that gives me pause, because historically I've been very conservative. I've seen things, you know, increase by a little bit. And then I would sell my cards. I would do that over and over again. And I'm so glad that about five years ago, I said, no, I believe this fun thing is coming. I believe the prices are going to get crazy and I'm going to stop selling. That was, if I've ever made a great decision in the card hobby, it was literally to stop selling my, my high end cards. Right. Um, now the question that I asked though, is, every time one of these entities drops in and says I've got 10 million bucks that I can go spend. And that's in the world of investments, that's just not a lot of money. But every time somebody comes in and says, I'm going to come spend $10 million. How does that influence, you know, how does that influence the market? And, and if it keeps happening, what happens to the really important cards? Um, the, the, the point to be made here is, you know, and, and I, I don't want to, I never want to tell people what to buy. I don't think it's, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I don't think it's, um, it's uh, genuine of me to say you need to buy what you like and go buy these specific cards. I don't think I can say both of those things. I know I've said that to you before. Um, I want people to go buy what they like, but when there are many, many of a card out there, I do think that when the music stops, it's really bad for that card. Um, when there are fewer, and there's lots of people who are really after that small group, lots of people who just want to own it just to own the thing. You know, They want to just have that thing. It's not about buying and selling. It's not about treating it like a stock, but they want to be the end user of it that sort of card I, I personally feel feel like is um is more protected in the long term i could be totally wrong about that that's just my philosophy and what's driven my decision making
0: well i don't think you're wrong because you already you you earlier in the show already tonight mentioned a case that supports what you're saying and that was the mahomes rookie right i mean everybody every it's funny i and i said i said it to our our, our friend in common um Chris McGill from house of Jordans and card ladder said, you know, the best time to sell a card is going into a season or going into the playoffs. Cause that's when all everyone has hopes for everybody, you know, going into the, the new season, everyone has high hopes for all the players on their favorite teams or all their favorite players going into the playoffs. Everyone has high hopes that their favorite teams and favorite players are going to win a championship. Everyone's hyped up. So you go through the playoffs and you win the Super Bowl in the case of Mahomes. All of a sudden, he's won the Super Bowl. And people think, oh, the card has to go up. He won the Super Bowl. Well, sorry, guys. It's actually backward. It's backwards. And it, it was proven with that case that everybody thought it. Everybody, the term everybody loosely, everybody that had that card that wanted to sell it or bought it for a flip when he won, they all go to sell it. All of a sudden, eBay goes from having one or two copies to... You know 40 or 50 copies so like you said the supply goes up right right there so it's uh it's never easy to know when to buy a card we all we all suffer from a little bit of the FOMO fear of missing out you know whether we admit it or not I think we all suffer from that a little bit and that's maybe what drives some of our some of our purchasing decisions uh before we and I want to I want to move into um and this is what we're talking about I want to move into our discussion about rare cards versus commodity cards and just dive into that a little bit deeper and you're such a good person to talk about that with because you are in you're deep in the corner of rare cards commodity cards don't interest you but commodity cards are still very interesting in the market but before we get to that i want to say good evening to andy greenham welcome back to you sir thanks for letting me know who you are uh yam corrects me and says exquisite rpas come out of an upper deck i said Yam, i knew that i thought you were i thought you were talking about the exquisite version of hockey cards being the cup When you said that, I didn't mean you actually, I didn't, I didn't realize you actually meant exquisite, but thank you for clarifying. So here's a question I want to talk about, because Jordan asked this question about 12 minutes ago, Adam, and, and as, as Yam confirms, it's a great question. So let's, let's read this one. He says, can you and Adam talk about the potential responsibility? And I like the word potential, the potential responsibility of elite collectors that they have to serve the hobby as a whole versus being self-serving and and hashtag. For the hobby, which is also the name of Jordan's podcast. So, I mean, that's a great question. And um, why don't you take a stab at it first, uh, Adam? I love the
1: question. Um, Jordan has, you know, has a whole Instagram account and podcasts that are dedicated to this sort of idea. So, I've been a member of the community for thirty years. I love saying that because I'm in my thirties still so you know that I've been here for the, for the whole of it. Um, I think there's a lot of people in every industry who, and in every walk of life who are here, who, who don't really give thought to how they leave the place when they leave it. And there's certainly people who are in our community today who have this feeling about making as much as money as they can. And then, and then, Getting out, and I think there's probably times in my history where I, I know I don't think I ever thought I was going to get out, but there were times where all I cared about was making money. Right? Um, you've got to leave where you you got like when you move homes, you should be leaving your neighborhood better than you found it. You know, when you go to your university, you should be leaving at a better place than when you were there. I think I think it's our job as people in the hobby to um, to always be asking the question, you know, what is good for the hobby and what's not. And I think it's really hard to know, you know, it's not, there's, I'm talking in really altruistic ways right now, but like, it's hard to know always what things are good and what things are bad. But in some cases, it's not hard to tell. In Some cases, you know, what you're doing is good. And in some cases, you know, what you or other people are doing are, are bad. And so what I would say to Jordan is I think, um, and I think he, you know, Jordan, uh, I know Jordan um, has a desire to sort of make other people happy. Um, He sent me a card for free that he knew I would appreciate. And um, it wasn't a high dollar card or anything like that, but he just wanted to try to make my life better. And he succeeded. Um, That's why the relationship part of this is so important. That's why sharing information is so important. That's why doing a show like you're doing, Jeremy, or like so many of the content creators is so important. The thing that's so hard, and I think this is part of what Jordan's getting at, is it's not always easy to tell what people's intention is, you know, or what what their intentions are. Sometimes these shows or things like this can become so self-serving. They can become about trying to create value on the cards that you own. And you know, I'm, I've been tempted by that before. It's easy to talk about things that you own in a way where you want to get people hyped up about it. So then you can turn around and sell it someday. Um, I I think I could go on and on about this for an hour, but, but we don't have that sort of time, but I think it's a great question, Jordan. I think we need to take that responsible responsibility. I think there's plenty of people, Jordan, who will never, ever take that responsibility, but all of us kind of have to Look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, you know, what what we're doing to make wherever we are in life a better place than when we got there.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you think? I mean? I mean, I I think I think it's an interesting question. I think that um, you know, there are some there are collectors at every level: the elite, the 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 less than elite, the average, and the uh, and the economy collector, let's say, or the budget collector and um throughout all levels of collecting you've got guys that are out there showing their cards all the time because they like to show them and then you've got guys that you don't even know about they're private they don't want anybody to know what they're doing it's their personal hobby that they're they're just you know it's it's what they enjoy um so i think that it's i think it, on the one hand i agree with 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 jordan's assur- you know his sort of the assertion that underlies the question that yeah Elite collectors um, should give back something. What does give back mean? I don't know. Maybe it's be more public, maybe it's go on shows, maybe it's post on Instagram, maybe it's share their wares, um, you know, and we know elite collectors that do that. But I also think that, you know, that just because you're a, a collector that can that has, you know, spends million dollars millions of dollars a year on cards. I don't think you necessarily owe anybody anything. I mean, you've all, you've obviously put out, put so much money into the hobby that that right there is, is supplying the hobby with more capital, more it's just going to make the world, the hobby world go around a little bit longer. So while I, while I understand the assertion and I think it's, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice feeling to, to have. Um, and it provides that kind of, you know, the hobby is a nice, happy place, which it is among those of us that are happy in it. But, um, it's an interesting question. I want to think about it a little bit more, but, uh, you know, I don't consider myself an elite collector. I I consider myself, uh, maybe slightly above average in terms of the, what I have in my collection, but, but, you know, in terms of giving back, like even right now doing the show, bringing people to be bringing people to the audience, sharing information, it's weird. I've never thought of that as, as, serving the hobby i realize it is now but i never you know it's just because people have told me i never really set out to do that so it it's an interesting question i'd like to turn it around on myself turn it around on you well i'll just i'll just point out
1: i think about the question i think a little bit different than you did uh, um or than you do i don't think you have to be public in how you and how you trade or in how you um or even doing a show there's lots of ways to make the world better right and we don't all have to do it in the same way the way that I do it's certainly different than how most people do it and I think that's good if we all tried to do it the same way that would probably not work but like let's give the example of when you and I first met right you came up to me at the national and you were like Adam I'm Jeremy we're on this group together let's talk and you and I had this awesome like I don't know 20 minute sort of like together sort of moment and I was like I really like Jeremy, you didn't have to do anything other than sort of have that moment with me. And and, and then you, and you made my hobby experience better, right? Sometimes it's interacting. Sometimes it's teaching. Sometimes it's, I mean, there's, there's a million ways in the world to sort of make it better. But I think what Jordan's getting at is like, you can sort of like, take, take the land and destroy it and just take all of the nutrients and all the good things out just for yourself. Or you can or you can sort of try to make it better along the way and I think there's a lot of a lot of different ways to do that and I think that those people who, who have the sort of loudest voices in the hobby need to really take the opportunity to try to make it better I, and I do think it's a responsibility um, but how much time they put into that your point about like your point honestly about like they've given money to it you know what 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 more do they what more responsibility do they have I don't know. That's a hard thing. But I think that everybody should be able to answer and say, I didn't just take from it. I also sort of tried to make it a better place, however they're going to do that.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because like, you know, I love the hobby. That's no secret to to my friends in the hobby, the audience of the show. Um, and I think, you know, uh, just by doing doing the show is bringing a lot of things to light. And in a way, it, it's, you know, It's been my way of giving back, even though I didn't set out to do that at the beginning. It just has turned into that. And, you know, as for other people, yeah, like you said, we all give we all give in our own ways. You know, there's different ways you can make the world a better place. And we had we had a a show recently where um, I was talking about, you know, kids in the hobby, young kids. If you're set up at a card show and a kid comes by your booth with his ratty lunchbox filled with cards and he says, are you buying? I said I said, the answer to that question when a kid comes to your booth and asks if you're buying or you want to see his cards, the answer is always yes. It's never no. It's always yes. It doesn't matter what the kid's got. You always say yes to the kid because that kid had a bunch of no's along the way, and now someone finally wants to see their card. That's, that's right. been my way of giving back or making the hobby a better place and trying to make the world a better place. And so I, I don't know. That, that's a, that's something I'm, I'm a big fan of that reaction. So... But let, great, great topic. Jordan, thank you so much for the question. Let's move along back into the market here. Um, I'm guessing this is Andy. He says, I hear a lot of people navigating the current dips by holding sales for the start of the season. Do you think we will see a further dip instead of recovery due to the impending supply? Can, do you, I'm going to take that one first because it ties into something I was just saying, which was you know the best time to sell a card is leading into the hype, leading into the season, leading into the playoffs. So I think that, but this is a great question because if people are now holding and they've caught on to that, well, you know, we may not see either a big increase or a decrease because while the while the supply is going to go up, we're going to see more supply on eBay, for example, we're going to see more people wanting to buy because it's also the most fun time to buy when there's the most hope for your player. So great question. I don't think it's going to have much of an effect at all. And, you know, Open for discussion. I'm I, I I say that non-committedly. What do you think, Adam?
1: I think it's a great question too, and I like your answer a lot, Jeremy. I I just think it depends on, um, it depends on what sellers' behavior is. We're dealing with a thinly traded asset, and so if a lot of people go out there and uh, and provide those cards for sale, you're exactly right that this is what could happen. But maybe that won't happen, and it'll be the best time to sell. I just. I've never had a good sense of what people will do. and um, and if we if if you can figure that out, you can probably you know you can probably tie down that part of the equation, but I don't know what people will do. So
0: good question. All right, let's move along. axonite sixty four welcome to the show. This is an interesting question. He says, I think we have two different markets. It's not a it's not so much a question as a statement. I think we have two different markets, the high end rookie cards and the rest of the cards. Those two markets will not evolve the same way. One is sustainable, the other probably not. I'll tell you, you're pointing at you're pointing like that at him. I was doing the same thing in my head. I'm like, this might be the best way I've I've seen it articulated or heard it articulated recently. What what's your response to this? Yeah, so I think he's exactly right. When
1: I mentioned earlier that it depends on segment and we need to look at things by segment, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like, okay. I don't look at The biggest mistake you can make is to lump everything together right? And say, the market is doing this or it's doing that. And we kind of have to do it when we're on a show because we're talking about lots of different things. So the way that you're asking the question, Jeremy, I think is right. But the way that a a prudent, smart buyer looks at it, you have to break it down and say, you know, is this a rare asset? Is this a common asset? And what we found is like, let's be real. Over the course of the last few years, the more common assets have appreciated more on a percentage basis by a lot. We buy a ton. And so it's not fair to say like I would be totally disingenuous if I just said it's always better to own the rare thing. No, you know what? If I wanted to make a lot of money, I'd go back in time and buy the not rare thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's exactly right. Break it into different segments. Think about things in different ways, and and I think that's what leads you to the best to the best spot. Do you, you kind of agree with that, Jeremy, or you think I'm off?
0: Yeah, no, I do agree. Um... The thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, like you said, if you were to buy the more common card, the commodity card, so let's use an example, the LeBron James Topps Chrome rookie card versus the LeBron James RPA. Mm-hmm. You would have made more money putting, you know, $100,000 into his Topps Chrome card, you know, all grading, you know, consider them all graded, gem PSA 10s, whatever. You would have made more money putting hundred grand into Topps Chrome LeBron James and you would have putting 100 grand into LeBron James uh, exquisite RPAs. I think I may be off on that, but that's the you know, that's the gist of the example. The reason why you can make more money or the market will will will, will go up more for the lower end cars is because the pool of people that can afford it is so much higher. I call it natural attrition as you get higher and as you get higher and higher in price, there's attrition as to how many people can actually afford and are in the in the market for that card. So there's less competition between those players to get that card. So I think, you know, there's it's, it's a it, it's a it they'll always you'll always see rare cards being worth more. But the rate at which they're worth more will will sort of be decreased as time goes by, as you get higher and higher. The, the the gap becomes closer and closer. It's still far apart, but a little bit closer and closer just because of the demand. It's simple, it all comes down to supply and demand. So that's my thoughts on that. I, I hope I added, I, I, I don't love the way I articulated that, but I think I got my point across or my thought across. Let's move along. Peter says, for that Mahomes example, is it the auction prices that drop, but did higher buy it now's still go? I.e., did all the cards go, but a few buyers still purchased out the available stock. Um, I wasn't watching it,
1: were you? No, and I, I, I used it more as hearsay, more as people, who, other people who have talked about it. Um, it's the kind of a well-known example, but Peter's exactly right. You've got, you've got to not only look at segments, but you've got to look at types of cells, and you know, it's it's really hard to tell what real cells are, and there's a reason why sales history is is extremely problematic. But Peter's asking a really good question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to say hello to the card collector. Welcome to the show again. Uh, a couple of questions here. They're off topic. So we are going to skip them guys. I apologize. Brent Turman says, Adam, why do you think the principles of scarcity have not driven hockey prices like it has with basketball? Wow. Now, Brent, you are asking a guy who doesn't follow the hockey market. He follows the, you're, you're, you're like 100% a basketball guy.
1: I am 100% basketball, but I'll, I'll offer a few slight like, um, ideas. Um, I think that uh, the one thing that that I've, that I've seen for sure, Brent, um, is that, that the Asian market has had a tremendous impact on, on basketball. I don't know what the Asian market is like for hockey, but I can't imagine it's anything like it is for, for basketball. Um, I think, um, I think that, I think I would probably just need to know more about hockey to, to tell you any more than that, but for sure the worldwide, um, you know, the worldwide demand, especially from places that have a lot of money for the really rare iconic pieces have have um, absolutely driven the prices um, sky high for rare basketball cards.
0: Cool. And I, I, I'll i uh, echo that sentiment, uh, Brent. Basically, it's, it's the size of the market. Um, when we had on Jeremy Murray, who's the VP of grading at Beckett grading, he he shared some numbers with us. He shared that the. On a on a the the rate of submissions by sport in the first half of 2020, 40 percent of all submissions are basketball eight percent of all submissions are hockey so the basketball market that that's a good indicator of the size of the markets you can go on eBay and look at total listings by sport too that's another good measure. But to me, that tells me that, you know, the basketball market is five times the size of the hockey market. And so maybe the 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 top, the highest end basketball cards should sell for five times the amount of the highest end hockey cards. Well, I can tell you, they sell for more like 15 to 20 times the amount, 10 to 15 times the amount. So I think, you know, hockey, there could be some opportunities um, rel- on a relative basis. So but thanks for the question, Brent. Really interesting. Let's move along. Say my name. Speaking of the Asian market, say my name. Uh, writing in from the Philippines, uh, Filipino from the UA, the United Arab Emirates. Welcome to the show. He says the 75th anniversary of the NBA is in 2021. What is the likelihood of 90s cards rising in value, I assume? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's a good question, not specifically for 90s cards, but for anybody who will be part of the, the likely 75th anniversary team. In 1996, when we had the NBA's greatest 50 team, it's really like a, a year that a lot of us remember as being really important. And, um, you know, a, a lot of us can tell you off the top of our heads kind of who the, who the top 50 were. Um, and it introduced us to players like George Mikan and Paul and you know, guys like Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, more well-known guys and guys that maybe weren't as well-known. Um, I know a lot of people who have, like I say, a Paul Arizon card in their collection only because he was a member of the top 50. So guys in the nineties um, or in other, er- or in, or before that who are going to be named to that 75th team are going to see attention that they haven't seen for a little while. And that absolutely can have an impact. Um, I think that's probably why we've uh, partly why we've seen some of the boom and the the, the rare, or the um, high grade vintage basketball market that we've seen in the last um, over the last few months is i think there are people who are finally sort of starting to look towards that um, knowing that some of those guys are going to be highlighted and they haven't been highlighted really since 1996.
0: Yeah, I wonder if if you know it'll have a similar impact that uh, the Last Dance did, you know, just shining such a light on some of these players that that really were shining in the 90s. So, if that's any indication then I think the answer is yes the likelihood there is likelihood that cards, uh, that are, you know, represented by those guys will, uh, will, will rise. Um, I like this Jake says to say, yes, 90s basketball cards are King, which, uh, I, I got to somewhat agree with. I, I like a lot of the, 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 tw- the current decade or the, the decade we just finished the cards from there as well, but let's move along. Um, big daddy. Cool. Welcome to the show says as the collection gets up there, the less people that know about it, the better. Love displaying it at Christmas time, but then the big boys go right back to the box in the bank. Fair, and, and you know it, it's true. And when, when when you know it's not like holding stocks of companies that you just look on look at on your screen every day to see how they're doing. These are actually actual tangible assets that we we have physical ownership of. Security over these things is is of utmost importance, and I have a feeling. Um, it's overlooked by a lot of people, just a feeling. Let's keep going. Jordan says, 100% to Adam, uh, and the beauty is that you can have a strong land grab and still be generous, kind, and a great hobbyist along the way. You know, that wraps it up right there. Very well said, Jordan. I might lead with that when you're on my show uh, in a couple of weeks here, Jordan, or a week from now, actually. Maybe, maybe I'll lead with that quote if I can find it again. Uh, here's my good friend Karn. Karn welcome says typically the hype is before the season. I'm predicting a flip of the situation this season. So that's my that's exactly what I what I've observed over the last 20 years in the hobby. Typically, the hype is before the season, and then it comes up again, leading into the playoffs for those teams that are gonna be in the playoffs. He's predicting a flip. That makes that's very contrarian. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh Paul said, Oh, never mind that, not important for the of for the discussion. Uh, Jake says, yeah, there's lots of ways to get back to the hobby and be a positive influence in all your hobby interactions. Gary V. preaches to give more than you take. 51-49% split. I I love that. You know, Gary V. spreads a lot of positive energy out there, but I've never heard the 51-49 split, but I got to say I really like it because, you know, 49 is still a healthy number. It's not that far from 51, but you are tipping the scales uh, on, on the side of giving. And really, you know, that's what the hobby's about. It's you know, my dad always says to me, he's like, You gotta, you gotta give. You, you can't just always take. Not that he's accusing me of always taking, but he, you know, it's just kind of how I was, how I've been brought up over the last few decades is, you know, you want to give. You want, you want to give. We all take all the time, but giving is really where where um, you can make a great difference, I believe. So thanks for that, Jake. Say my name says I like the quote. The only thing that benefits that more is the hobby itself. Adam, mm. please speak up. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know,
1: for Jake to quote, that's interesting because Jake's not a fifty-one forty-nine guy. Jake's like a 99 one guy. He, he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And um, you know, I, I think it's, it's good for him to say that. Um, I don't really know. I don't really know a lot about Gary. Um, and so I wouldn't comment on him, but what I would say is like, if you're not expecting something back, but you're just somebody who's a giver that and like, like I would say Jake is that's, that makes the hobby a lot, a lot better place. You know, when I was writing my first copy of of the magazine, I reached out to a few people who I knew were really, really passionate people in the hobby. That's what the magazine's really all about. I reached out to Jake to write something because he has passion for the hobby. And I think we frankly just need more people like him.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of Jake, um, I watched him on uh, Beckett Live Presents with Eric Norton. I think it was just yesterday. And um, I knew... I knew he was a basketball car guy, but I didn't know that, Jake, I didn't know you were like an expert at every set from the 90s that came out in basketball. What a resource you are. And when I saw the first issue of the magazine, I saw that he was, that Jake had written the article and I and I read it and I'm like, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, what What? a, what a wealth of knowledge. And then it kind of, I really, it really hit home for me when I saw him last night. So on on Eric's Beckett Live Presents show. So that was pretty, yeah, he writes... You're making me blush. Yeah, man, blush, blush away. You deserve it. You deserve it. Okay, let's keep on going through some of these comments here. Um, This one says, uh, in regards to the market on high-end cards dropping, please keep this in mind. When the cops raid the whorehouse, good girls go to the jail along with the bad. So I think he's, you know, which is basically, so all cards will drop with the tide. Um, You know, I wonder if that's 100% accurate or not. Like, you know, there's different they, and it, it, it ties into the comments a few minutes ago about the different segments right they 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 could fare differently so will they all drop or will the truly rare not drop because they're truly rare and if there's one thing that you anyone with experience in the hobby will tell you the rare always wins out will you have any re- response to this
1: yeah i think i think he's actually i think he's asking
0: a great question the thing that i would say is if you
1: if you look back at history and you can say that, some of those more mass produced cards have have six X in a time, whereas the rare card has gone up, you know, two X, you could probably guess that if you have this moment where, where things fall apart, they're not going to fall apart at an equal rate. They're going to probably fall apart in the same sort of percentage that they increased. Yeah. That's not perfect. I, I don't think that's perfect because I personally think it would even be less than that for the high end card. Um, I I think that the trajectory of every piece of data that I've ever seen indicates to me that the rare thing is the thing that just has the better future. But again, that's not perfect. Um, But I wouldn't wouldn't expect them to both drop by 50% or I wouldn't expect them to both drop by 90%. I would expect
0: the thing that is easily available to drop at a higher rate than the rare thing. And you said it's not perfect. Here's an example of where it's not perfect because we know that the there's such a small pool of people that are owning the biggest cards in the hobby. We know one guy that owns three of the biggest cards in the hobby, right? Just by virtue of an Instagram account. If, if though, if, if a few of those people come upon financial hardship, all those cards are going to hit the market. Many of those cards are going to, if they need to convert those cards to cash. So the economy, the greater economy does have an, an influence on these things too. But I agree with what you're saying, Adam, it's not perfect. And the rate of de-escalation will mirror somewhat the rate of escalation of the, of the values that we see during that we've seen in the last five months. Let's call it a, at least a more similar pattern down yep. that we saw uh, going up. Let me
1: also add to that. I think if you were to say, let's say the economy falls apart, who's more likely to need that cash? Is it going to be the person who's been out there spending five five figures on pieces of cardboard? Or is it going to be in, in cardboard that they had anticipated that they would own forever? Or is it more likely going to be the person who has put together a collection of lower end, you know, higher, higher quantity cards available? I think, I think that I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the person who has the collection of, of cards who really needs that $50 is way more likely to have to move their cards than the guy who's been buying the huge huge pieces that that's not gonna be perfect again but i think i think more likely probably the right way to describe it
0: i think you're right when we see i i've seen it all the time with collectors putting together a collection and then the whole thing goes up for sale and then you see them six months later they're back in the hobby they put together a collection then they sell it all again and you know and it's a lot of it has to do with um just interests changing and a lot of it you know the other reason it happens is because of financial uh requirements and that so let's move along here um, and this, Paul just says, you know, I work with, uh, I, I talk to people from the Philippines and have had many conversations about basketball. So speaking to the Asian market again, thanks for that, Paul. Colin Smith, hello and good evening to you. Uh, absolute, good evening to you as always. Hope you're having a great, hope you're having a great night too. Card currency in those. any thoughts on if you think dream team cards will have a big rise? I mean, the te- that team has gotten so much credit for basketball being global. I mean, has that not been happening? All right.
1: I mean, they're they're highly followed. One of my very favorite cards is a dream is a dream team card, um, and uh, yeah, I I think to to is it going to keep? Are they going to keep increasing at in a disproportionate rate? Probably not. I don't really know, but they are very popular.
0: Yeah, uh, Alex says all this giving talk. Jeremy, can I have fifty one percent of the cards in your inventory? That's a great on point. Yeah, just send me your address again and uh, I'll ship those out to you. No problem at all. Um, here, yeah, 90s b-ball cards has just been exposed. You're not 51.49, but a 99 That's about as good as it gets, right? You need that one to eat and you uh, and, and know have, have a roof over your head. McDoyle Sports, welcome to the show, says, not accurate as scarcity will continue to create demand. I've continued to purchase during a number of downturns. I don't disagree with that at all, at all. I don't know what you were saying is not accurate. A lot of what we're saying tonight is is speculation and thinking on the fly, but I certainly agree with what you're saying there. Karn, welcome, says rare cards in my opinion are innately safer by nature, less liquidity on the market, less comps, less availability on the market, truly rare cards drop only if the owners owners sell during that market shift. Uh, that's, That's right, they only drop if owners sell. If a one of one doesn't get listed, it can't go down in value, right? It's it, it stuck where it is, and that's another thing. In order for a card to go up in value, it has to sell, right? You you can't just you can't say to yourself, "Oh, I should have I should have uh, sold this card. I should have sold my card now." Or I wish I didn't sell my card last year for twenty thousand. It just sold for forty thousand. Well, if you didn't sell your card last year for twenty thousand, it might not have sold for forty thousand this time. You you know you yeah you, you you were better off letting someone else sell it and waiting for that and then selling. It. But then you you have the issue where, well, maybe things go down. I should have got 20. Now it's only going for 15. So it's, we're always, we're always trying to time things correctly. If you're in the buying and selling game, I don't do a ton of selling of my big personal collection card. So I don't really play that game, but great point Karn. appreciate it. Adam, anything to add to that? No,
1: I think, I think that these are, these are smart people you've got watching the show. And I think that you know, even the minor disagreements that we have are mostly, you know, they're mostly guesswork. We just do the best that we can.
0: Well, I'll give a shout out for Karn. Karn was my guest on, I believe, episode six, really early on. So Karn, thanks for joining me back then. And he has a, he runs a a Facebook group and a, and an Instagram account called The Big Three and showcases some of the finest cards in the market. Um, he actually, and I'll he put it on his Instagram, but he was the one who just purchased the BGS 10 LeBron James tops Chrome rookie uh, from Golden Auction, So he added that to his collection just uh, what two days ago. So congratulations to you Karn, on that and welcome to the show. Uh, Ziggy No, welcome to the show. Thank you, another great show learning. Glad to have you, glad you're learning guys. Ziggy No has another channel called Ziggy No where he does daily updates on the hobby among other things, so check that out. Uh, You're welcome, Uh, they're on their way. Jump in Adam, please.
1: Uh semi-embarrassing, but I need to
0: run to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> can, can I come, come back? back? All right. Okay, one second. I'll carry the show. I've got a little bit of practice with that by now. Uh let's see what we have here. The the people with the most to lose aren't the top one percent. That's for sure. That's for sure. I agree with that comment. I like this Adam guest, very well spoken, humble guy who knows this stuff. Yeah, I can tell you guys, Adam, when he joined me back, um what episode was he, he was on with me. I wrote this down somewhere. Um episode 26 back in july adam joined me and i got such great feedback from him as a guest so many of you guys the watching really liked him and i do too like he said i I approached him at the national uh last year and um we hit it off immediately just a really nice guy knows his stuff great cards uh and is always sharing his knowledge and information and now he's um, producing this new magazine, which we are going to get to and talk about. I want to give him some, some props on the new magazine so we will get there. Karin says, thanks for the out, Jeremy. Listen every week on my nightly jogs. Well, that's nice to hear, Karin. I'm, I'm glad that you do. I'm glad that you do. He doesn't take little sips like you, Jared. That must be Andy. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Andy. Andy critiques me on how I drink my water during the show, but I only bring one glass down, so little sips to get me through. I'm going to take one right now. Hopefully, Adam will be back in a moment here. But while we're waiting for Adam, <laughs> that was a bigger, that was a bigger sip than you've ever seen me take, uh, Andy. Um, uh, Mike says, anything planned for episode 50, for the big 50 episode that is? Episode 50 is coming up. Um, nothing, well, the big thing that's planned is that my guest is Jordan Hagedorn for that episode. Um, it just happened to be the episode that I scheduled him in on, and, uh, you know, Jordan is, he ha- he's a He's a Brett Favre super collector. He is an NFL agent. The guy's going to have some insights and it'll be a fun episode. I'm looking forward to it. Other than that, nothing big really planned, though, just to have another great show. But thanks for asking. And as he says, hit the thumbs up and like this video. Always appreciate that. Thank you so much. Welcome back, Adam. Okay, (laughs) let's move on because we're at the end of the comments for the first time in the evening. We've covered like thirty percent of the items that are on the agenda, and we're down to you know if we're doing going to do two hours. We're only we're already an hour sixteen minutes here, so we're, we're we're running short on time. Let's let's have a quicker discussion that I had originally planned to have on market capitalization and what it really what it means in the hobby. Now, before we get into the discussion, in issue one of the Basketball Card Fanatic this magazine right here that i printed off in color just so i could you know i want to read a magazine on you know in bed or you know when i when i'm doing my business whatever i read the magazine the the final article in this magazine is actually written by adam and it's it's called a rookie market cap well you call, a rookie market cap comparison lebron kobe and michael jordan why don't you tell us adam i mean i read the article can you just uh, give a Coles Notes version? And this is your opportunity now also, Adam, to uh, give a little peek to anyone out there who didn't receive issue number one into what they can expect from this magazine. But please speak to this article in particular and what your findings showed. Well, let me start out by saying that um, part of what I love
1: about Basketball Card Fanatic is it gives me a chance to do projects that I've just been thinking about, things that I've Thought would be interesting to study and then to share the things that I found with the hobby. And so, um, you know, I I put this this idea out there and let the world know that I'd love to send the magazine to anybody for the first issue to anybody who wanted to receive it. And I requested emails and um, I had a a good number of people reach out and. and as, and as I did that, the, the first thing that I did was I wanted to something I was talking to some friends about for a long time. I wanted to try to really do an all inclusive market cap on all of the graded BGS cards, um, BGS rookie cards from those three grades. And so I said, I'm going to do everything I can to come up with the very best valuation for all of these cards, all of their grades. And I just want to just want to see what happens. my, Belief at the beginning was that LeBron James' market cap for his rookies was going to be higher than people would think, but the thing that I found was was you know as I did it was that LeBron's market rookie cap or rook, rook, um, market cap for his rookie cards was way higher. Um, his LeBron James market cap for his rookie cards for Beckett graded cards is almost two x Kobe and Jordan's rookies combined.
0: And that, uh, that to me was really interesting. Before you go any further, j- explain market cap, just, just to be certain. That's a good call. And I do that in
1: the article. It's why it's why you write things sometimes rather than talk about them, because it's easier to sort of explain everything that needs to be explained. But market cap is um, is a, a, a metric that those of us who invest are really familiar with. It represents basically the total value of it so if you say how many shares of a stock are outstanding and then what are the what's the value of that stock and you multiply those two things by each other that gives you basically the value of the company that's the market cap of the company um, and so in terms of cards what you can do you know if you've got a card that is limited or numbered in some way you can figure out what the market cap is or in the case of a graded card you can take its population and you can create based on what the pri- if you take the price the value, sales value of what an individual card is worth, and then multiply it by the quantity of that card in that grade, you can get that market cap for a specific grade. But that only tells you what the market cap for that specific grade is. My job was to say, okay, if I take all of the Jordan rookies in existence, and I took everything from 84 to 86, you know, the star, um, the FLIR, the FLIR sticker, um, all of the different star things, all everything that you could construe as a rookie card. I took all of that, and then I did that for all of the Kobe's. I did that for all the Kobe inserts, all the all the parallels. I did the same thing for LeBron, and the goal was to say what is the total value of all BGS graded cards for Michael Jordan's rookies? What's the total value again of of, of all of Kobe Bryant? And then just to compare the three, and that's the purpose of the article is to is to sort of see what happened when I did that.
0: So, what did you find?
1: What I found is the the if you add the Kobe and the um, and the Jordan together, you only get to about half of what LeBron's total market cap is. Um, and to me, that was that was that was basically the find. That's what I wanted to discover. And uh, now the next question that comes from that obviously is. Should it be that way? And I think that's a really hard question because um, unfortunately, you know, not all rookie cards are created equal. Um, I found that the, if you just look at just individual cards, Michael Jordan's uh, FLIR rookie graded by BGS is easily the highest market cap. Um, and then I and then I have broken out in the article, in fact, I'll open it real quick here. I'm gonna bring um, it up uh, on the screen. I have it printed. Oh. Um, so the Jordan 86 FLIR, the estimated BGS market cap, that I came up with a $78 million. That's across all grades. It's a $78 million asset. Um, whereas LeBron's Chrome, which is number two, was a $41 million asset. There you go. That, that's it right there. Um, and so as far as individual cards go, Jordan's still king. But when you add them together, um, it, it doesn't end up being particularly close. Um, LeBron's market cap is up $295 million. And uh, Jordan's total market cap is $102 million. Yep. That's that right there. So, and Kobe's is, you know, this is the really shocking thing to me is Kobe was less than, Kobe was half of what Jordan is and, you know, one sixth of what LeBron is. And that just, you know, that was really surprising to me.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to what you said. Not all rookie cards are created equal, but what I do like to see is that at the top of this list, Michael Jordan's number one by a, by a long shot, and and that's a function of the population of the of the card as well as just you know compare the population of the cards below it uh, as well. So interesting stuff, man. Um, and a great a great sort of a segue maybe into talking a bit more about the magazine itself. So, uh, let's jump into that. I mean, I wanted to I did want to I did want to expand the discussion on market capitalization a little bit more. and I'm, I'm gonna actually before we move on, I'm just gonna add a couple of points. One is that you know we market capitalization is a term used in the financial markets. It's you know it's like Adam said, shares times share value gives you the market value of any company. and it's usually unrelated to what the company's actually really doing. It goes up and down. Almost as well, faster than sports cards go up and down. It goes up and down as you know every time news comes out. But there are other kind of uh, analogies that we can that we can draw from that. One is the 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 the, the effect of dilution, right? In a, when when a company issues more stock from treasury or or warrants and options are exercised, it's there's more dilution. There's now more shares, but nothing else changed except the company's been cut up into smaller pieces of pie. And the way I look at it for the sports cards market is that we have, we experience dilution in sports cards as more cards are graded because we're all, we're only talking about graded cards. You can't talk about ungraded cards because we don't know what the populations are. Jen, I know we can for numbered cards and all that, but, and for those ones, it's a bit different, but you know, we, we experience dilution as well in the hobby. Which is, in, which is an interesting thing. Another another kind of topic in this is the, the the question of the the efficient market theory, which basically says that there are no angles. You know, stocks are priced at what they're going to be priced at because all information is known, except for insider information. But even as soon as soon as that leaks, you can't get ahead of the game because the, it's factored into the price almost instantly. That that's the efficient market theory, and I wonder the question came up earlier today as someone posted on one of my uh, promos of this show with you tonight, Adam, they basically asked the, they basically made the comment that uh, that it's not an efficient market in the hobby. And I, I'm not sure about that, but I think there are efficiencies in it because we see it on eBay guy goes out and scores 50 points in a basketball game. All of a sudden his, his cards are up through the roof, bull, bull, you know, that kind of thing. And then you don't do so well and the cards come down in value. So it, it is, there are efficiencies, but there are inefficiencies as well. Adam, please jump in, make any comments and let, then let's move on.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think that everything you said is super smart. I think that, um, I do think it's a super inefficient market, but I think that it's inefficient in the short term. I think in the long term, um, people stop thinking about the potential that somebody has of going out and accomplishing something and they just start buying the car because they want to own it. And so where you look at a guy like Kobe Bryant and a guy like Michael Jordan, people are buying those rookie cards in general because they want to own it. Not as much for speculative reasons, right? LeBron is an interesting player because he's both speculative and one of the greatest of all time. And that's such a rare, rare situation that you find yourself in. But the thing that, okay. So the interesting thing about this, that I want to make sure I get out there, I believe that what you said about and what I led with which is that not all rookie cards are created equal. I just believe that's totally true. But I also believe that you can't just create more of something, more more products, a greater quantity, different kinds and then have this like always increasing potential market cap. I don't believe that's the way it should be. I I think you know the the comparison that I would give here is Do you think the market cap of Ken Griffey Jr. rookies should be close to the market cap of Mickey Mantle rookies? Well, the Mickey Mantle rookies, way, way rare, blah, blah, blah. But like, which one should have a higher value? Now, LeBron is a little bit different because LeBron has autographs, right? And he has autograph patches. And that adds an element that like, you have to acknowledge is different. But is 2X times the other two greats logical? Is that the way it really should be? Is it just because he has more cards? And then, okay, if we're willing to accept that, so then the companies should just make more cards because then in the end they will have a higher market cap. I actually don't believe it's true. I really don't. I believe that in the long term, it should make more sense than it does. I don't know how much weight to put on the, the autographs and, and that other segment, but I do not believe fundamentally that you can just create more of something and then it'll be worth more. That takes out of it that rarity matters. And I believe like rarity matters, like that that, in the long term is like one of the core principles here. So um, I think that this same graph in 10 years, if I'm still putting the magazine together, knock, knock, knock on wood, um, I think it'll be really interesting to run it again. And my guess is that they'll be closer. Now, I don't know if that means that LeBron James will come down and the others will go up. Um, and and maybe I'm wrong, by the way, maybe it'll just always be like this. And it's because there's autographs and these other segments that that they hit. Like I'm, I'm open to that, but if I'm buying stuff, which I am, like I would lean towards the thing that I think is undervalued and, and the market caps tell a pretty clear story on that. So that's my opinion. Having said that, I still have to go back to the whole buy what you like thing. And there's times where I'm like, oh man, I'd love to buy a LeBron rookie because I like LeBron and he's amazing. And so I get it. But at some point, he's not there anymore, and then you have to ask the question: What do I want? And should he really be worth twice as much as the other two greats combined? Again, I just don't think that's—I don't okay, think that's,
0: that's right. Super interesting conversation. I mean, you know, so many questions and comments came to mind as you as you went through that. But I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna—we're just gonna, gonna kind of move along because uh, we could go on for four hours on on this one topic for sure. Um, yeah, I hesitate to not say anything about it because in the interest of time, but uh, but I'm going to, we're just going to move along. So Adam says, uh, good evening, Jeremy. Adam, I'm a big fan of the podcast. How often do you plan on releasing issues of the magazine or is it to be determined? Jump in. Thanks. Great name,
1: Adam. And, uh, and thanks for listening. And thanks for, for asking this question. The idea of the magazine is that it will, it will be a that it will be a monthly uh, that it will be a monthly release. I believe that we'll be able to release on the second or third week, second or third Saturday of every month. the The October issue is coming along well. There are a number of people who have already written articles um, and who have submitted them to me for editing. Um, the The articles are largely me asking people at this point. I've had a few people who've who've um, said, Hey, I'd love to do this. But for the most part, I've asked people to do it as uh, Jake will tell you, I asked him to do it. Um, and yeah, they'll come out every month, man. And that's, that's, the, that's the goal. And I don't think there should be any problem with that.
0: Yeah, I could see you having to maybe take off December or one month a year for a break. But hey, man, even 11 issues, even 11 issues uh, a year is impressive. You know, I was going to save this for later, but you're doing the magazine now. You've got your podcasts, which you put out episodes once every couple of weeks or so. I got to ask you, man, and I know what it's like creating content now. Have you bitten off more than you can chew? Are you going to be able to do 11 or 12 issues a year? It's my favorite question that I've been asked and I've been asked it by a couple of people who I care about
1: um, and who I think know me really well. You know, there was a time in my history where I spent so much time writing on blowout cards. I don't do that anymore. Um, there have been so many different things that I thought through the years or things that I want to write or I want to produce. I love writing. I've always loved writing. I'm an accountant who loves to write, right? Go figure. But, um, Jeremy, you know, like we actually do a lot more writing than, than a lot of people would guess, but I love writing and I love writing about cards. Um, I had a friend who's involved in the magazine asked me just two days ago, he's like, how long do you think you'll be able to come up with ideas for? And I'm like, dude, these ideas are never ending. These ideas will never like cease to enter my brain until I'm like no longer alive or have my faculties about me. I have 20 ideas of things that are interesting to study and research, and I have a real passion. So, you know, I've got to let it out somewhere. And how I've decided that I want to let it out is in the form of a podcast and in the form of a, of, of a written magazine. But the thing about a podcast, and I, Jeremy, I think you'll, you'll this will resonate with you. You can accomplish a lot of things with a, comp- with a podcast that you can't accomplish in something that's written, but the same thing is true in the other direction. You can't give everyone everything you'd like to in a magazine or like that you'd like to in a magazine, in a podcast. You can't give it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, work, work both ways, right? You have to have, like, there's 30 pages here, right? Like this is long. This is not, this is mostly writing and there's some pictures and stuff, but it's not, it's not filler. There's just a lot here. I could write this podcast that has all this info, or I could do a podcast. It would take hours and hours and hours and wouldn't be as consumable. So um, I love writing. I love the projects. I don't, I, I mean, I, I have to, I'm, I'm not somebody who wastes a lot of time. Like I'm always working. I'm always, if I'm not working, I'm doing something with my family that's meaningful, but I don't, you know, I don't have other interests like this is it for me. And so um, my wife would tell you sometimes that I've bitten off more than I can chew, but that's definitely my personality. So are you, are you pleased then with the content from issue? Number one, Dude, I love issue. Number one, I tell you, I'll tell you, I liked, I, I was, I, I had a good feeling that the things that I was writing, that those would turn out in a way that I felt good about, and I do feel good about them. But the thing that I felt best about was that I, I had, um, so I had six people write articles. And they're all great. They're all exceptional. And I've had people, as I've asked people, I've said, you know, tell me what your favorites were. I've had each of the six sort of given as answers. People like the, the different variety, right? Um, the idea of the, the magazine, and I might as well just get to this now. I include a line in the in the f- first page which basically says that I hope that the magazine accomplishes three things. I hope it makes you a smarter, happier uh, collector with more of a long-term perspective on the hobby and that is the idea of it I, when you think of me and you think of the basketball card fanatic and um, the basketball card podcast i want you to think of somebody who who's more concerned with the long-term health um, of the hobby and your your long-term sort of like interest in the hobby so you know like as you guys as you guys open it as you guys get the first issue and by the way if you still want the first issue it's still available um, DM me at the real 27 guy or email me at, uh, a uh, basketball card fanatic at gmail.com. And I will send you the issue for free. Um, but it's, you know, I think as you read it, if you actually take time with it, kind of as Jeremy has talked about, like take times to re- take time to read the things that are interesting to you. I think it will make you smarter and better. And we haven't even mentioned the indices, which I, again, I think should give people a different perspective on, on the the health of the hobby that they haven't really considered.
0: Yeah, and, there, and there's another uh, another analogy to the financial markets as well, right? It's nice to see that in there. And I just want to point out on page nine, there's this awesome little um, plug promotion, almost like a, an advertisement for Sports Cards Live, which was really nice. So I want to thank you for including that in in, the, in issue number one of the magazine. It's uh, it makes it that extra that much more extra special uh, for me. Um, okay. And there were people asking in the comments how they can get the magazine. Is it too late? Will you send it internationally? So let's run through some, some of these comments because I've, we're way behind in them. And a lot of them relate to the last topic of discussion. So let's run through some of these Adams and just see right now. So yeah, how do we get an issue? Adams, uh, Instagram handle is right under his name at the real 27 guy, go on Instagram, send him a direct message and give him your email address, he will send it to you. Adam, one more time, please say out loud what your email address is so people can send you an email if they're not on Instagram. Basketballcardfanatic
1: at gmail.com.
0: Basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. There you go, guys. I like this comment. Americans don't know Cole's notes, it's Cliff's notes. Yeah, up here we call them Cole's notes. You guys call them Cliff's notes. Anytime I say Cole's notes, I mean Cliff's notes. I, I thank you for, for, making, for, for making that comment. Uh, Cardboard, Cardboard Nostalgia says, is there an approximate number known for the amount of Jordan Fleer rookies that made it into packs? Same question for Gretzky. Short answer is no, there is not. Nobody knows. Simon says, sorry, came in late. Will Fanatics Basketball Magazine be available for international collectors and buyers? Yes, it will be. It's a digital yeah. magazine. So it's very, very uh, transportable. So there you go, Simon. You've pro- Hopefully you've even already sent uh, Adam your email address so he can send it to you. Paul Cashman advises that I think that would be a final score. Miami won 112 to 109, which is what I predicted. You know, on Instagram stories now, people often say, who's going to win tonight? I, I'm pretty sure I picked Boston or uh, Miami tonight. Peter says, curious when you talk about market cap comparison versus average cost per card. Is the cap difference strictly a quantity question? I mean, the cap difference is strictly, is really what all the cards all the copies of that cards that exist what they're all worth together that's that's how much money the whole hobby is put into one card or one group of cards i hope that answers the question can i can i add something to that though sure but please make it quick yeah so i'll make it super fast the um
1: the the thing there that's interesting is and i i included a graph on this um for paul in the, in the magazine, there's a graph that indicates the total number of cards that have been graded by Beckett. And so I'm, I'm looking at it. It doesn't have a quantity, but the graph shows that LeBron has a little bit more than 6,000, maybe about 6,600 or 66,000, 65,000. There you go of cards that have been graded. And so it's not, you know, if you do an average value per card graded of LeBron James from his rookie card, he's still way higher,
0: like way, way, way higher than these other Okay. Interesting. Thank you. Let's keep on plugging through here. Um, And Jordan Hagedorn kind of gives a response to that as well. Thank you for that, Jordan. Let's see what this says. I haven't read it yet. With the recent Giannis $1.8 million sale, maybe things have changed a little in the top 10. Also, since there are so many Zions out there, couldn't his market cap be a little inflated due to sheer number of cards? Yes, it could be. Also, if you would have evaluated Kobe before his death, his market cap would have been much lower. It would have been But everybody else's market cap was much lower before Kobe's death as well, just because of the function of really COVID more than anything. So great comment, though. Appreciate that one. Jordan says also the MJ Rookie is one of the most popular cards ever made. Maybe the most popular card ever made. Popular Mm -hmm. cards win on a daily basis. Rare, scarce cards win on the big dollars less often. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I I do agree. It's because they started making higher end, more scarce sought after cards in 03, take out LeBron Exquisite and the super high end autos and they would be much closer. Great point. Right. And that speaks to what you said earlier, Adam, about, you know, nowadays they have patches and autographs. That's a whole new element. It's a whole new category and more money goes into those. Let's keep on going. Jeff Johnson, welcome to the show. And I know we're 10 minutes behind the comments now. It says, great, Joe. Thank you. Please say hello to my former and very best employee at the LCS. Adam has matured into a great young man. Very great man. Father, husband, friend, knows a tongue. We are all wise to listen to him. Couldn't agree with you more. Jeff, thank you for joining the show tonight. Carlos, welcome to you. Market efficiencies and market capitalization doc. Now we're talking my language. This is the content I signed up for. I'm glad you enjoyed, Carlos. I'm sure we will have a very in-depth discussion about this later on, even possibly later on tonight, you and me. All right, let's keep going. Simon says if Jordan had an NTRPA in his day, or was a as, or was as a current day rookie, it would be by far the biggest card in the hobby. Tough to argue that, Adam. This is something you might want to jump in on, eh? Yeah, I
1: mean he's definitely
0: right. I
1: think again, I still think the question is if you so if you, if he you did have an, an RPA what is fleer rookie be as is, as is, is popular right cuz when we compare the jordan the jordan market cap on his 86 fleer what's the number 2 card it's the 2003 chrome and and so the chrome is still worth a ton in spite of the fact that you've got all that other exquisite stuff and that's the part that's really interesting to me i i i just don't i, I that that to me doesn't sort of fit in terms of like what i think should 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 be
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I always think about it, too, in the context of hockey. If Wayne Gretzky had a cup rookie, which is, you know, the the exquisite rookie in hockey, if he had one, what would it be worth? Well, it's so hard to do because if he had one of those, then he would have to, you know, then everybody back then would have had one and who knows where we'd be today. But, you know, it's still fun to think about. It's still a fun, a fun little thought experiment. If he had one, what would it be worth? You know, you compare it in hockey, you compare it to what Crosby and McDavid sell for in basketball. You compare it to what LeBron sells for and now what Zion sells for in Luka. What would the Jordan be worth? I would think it would be worth probably, you know, 50% more than, than the LeBron. Maybe, you know... Uh, and that that's where, you know, there's there's this ongoing debate in, in sports. Who's the who's the goat? Is it Jordan or is it LeBron? Well, if those if the people that are really passionate about that wanted to speak with their wallet, that would be the ultimate um, opportunity to do so. If they if Jordan had a, a, a National Treasures RPA as well, because, or an exquisite RPA as well, because now they could actually fight and see who's worth more. That would be that would be really interesting. Let's keep on going. Absolute says, can you quantify your market cap with some other key rookies, similar level athletes from the same eras and see if that 2x holds true? I wonder. That's a question. That's a question we can't answer tonight, but maybe in a a future episode uh, or a future issue of the Basketball Card Fanatic, Adam might look at some other players and see if the theory holds. I think that's an amazing suggestion, actually, Mike. Good on you for it. And Adam, maybe take a note on that, but please jump in. So,
1: yeah, and sorry, to, I know you're trying to wind down here, but the the second issue, what I'm doing, and I teased this at the end of the first issue, but the second issue, what I'm doing is I'm asking some people in the hobby that I feel like are real experts to to, to tell me what they believe are the 10 most iconic basketball cards, and I'm going to do a market cap on them. And what I want, what I'm interested to see is, do we actually, is market cap really like the, the numerical way of, of defining how iconic? an item it is? And I kind of think the answer is yes. I kind of suppose that that's, that that's the case, that the more iconic we consider something is actually the highest market cap that has. And we'll find out in issue two, whether that's the case. I haven't done the work on it yet, but yes, there's more to come on this market cap idea between
0: yeah. all sorts of I think, I think there's a lot more study needed to answer that because of the hobby, because of the difference in eras. It's so just like it's so hard to compare, you know, Michael Jordan to Wilt Chamberlain or you know, any guy, you know, Wayne Gretzky to Gordy Howe, Sidney Crosby to Gordy Howe. Like it's so hard to make those comparisons. Those compare those comparisons are as hard to make in the in the card market for these players as well. So the challenge is there. Thomas Newman, welcome to the show. Yo, I'm not gonna put your next comment on screen, but I see it uh in reference to blowout. Karn says, I understand what you're saying, Adam, regarding market cap. If MJ had more rookie cards that targeted towards a lower buy-in, would that add a new demographic in that market and more money? For example, the $500 LeBron James rookie. Yeah, I mean, that's just it, right? We can, we can talk for a day on this stuff, so let's just keep on going, though. Chris West wonders what the Griffey, mar- the Griffey Jr. market cap is. Yeah, so do I. Like These are interesting things, for sure. What was the email again? It is basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. Anybody that wants issue number one of the Basketball Card Fanatic by email in PDF for free from Adam, send him an email at basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. So many Griffies out there, but nothing in the tens of thousands even. Nothing, uh, nothing really, but there are some that are coming close to five figures, some really rare nineties cards that are beautiful that I I was watching that have sold for big money, but yeah. And then do you look at just the rookie cards or do you look at the whole, all the cards, right? It's really up to you what you're trying to figure out. Lots of studies could come out of this, Adam, lots of studies. There are likely a few million uh, Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards. Mm-hmm. Karn says on the flip side, I think there may be a market issue bias towards buying lower grades. Less people want a BVG3 Jordan rookie than a BGS95 LeBron, meaning three BVG3, meaning BVG3 Jordans could be undervalued. Could be. So much, so much to talk about. My gosh. Uh, Paul says there's 122,000 PSA BGS graded copies between the two. I think he's talking about the uh, Ken Griffey Jr. That's a humongous number, bigger than I was expecting. Jordan says definitely all interesting banter. The fact is the hobby's on fire And so much love and money to go around. Love and money to go around. I love it. Chris West just wants to let everybody know that that Jordan is greater than LeBron. I agree. I know many don't. I agree. Uh, Simon says, does Adam consider Jordan 84 star card number 101 his true rookie?
1: Yeah, I I, I I, I included it in the the study. It's certainly a rookie card. I don't really, you know, I, I think... I think that the 86 Fleer rookie is a rookie. I know that it was it wasn't made, you know, during his rookie year and all that sort of stuff, but it's the first thing that kind of came out of a pack and so it's it's an incredibly important card, but um, and, and it's easily the one with the highest market cap I think as I as I compared the market caps amongst all these guys, the Jordan XRC was something like 14th or 15th out of all three of these guys in terms of total market cap. So in terms of total value, it's actually pretty low on the list compared to some.
0: I'll just voice my opinion. I think it's an, I I like the XRC designation that Beckett came up with back in the 90s or the, the 80s, 90s, whenever it was. Um, I I don't, because it wasn't uh, mass, you know, widely distributed, didn't come out of a pack, was issued in team sets. I think it's an XRC. I think the FLIR is the RC. But that said, I think the hobby in general is starting to accept cards like that as, more towards the RC than the XRC, or at least more towards the RC uh, leaning away from the XRC designation. Another interesting topic. We had that conversation with uh, Meet on After Hours on Saturday. We got into some heavy talk about what is or what really is a rookie card? Has that Have the cards that fall under the rookie card umbrella, have they, are there more of them now than there used to be? Let's keep on going. Uh, amazing show, just saw it. I love the signs behind this. Glad you're enjoying the show. Absolute says if we all had this access to data content and experienced people like Jeremy and Adam, the 90s basketball, the 90s cardboard bust might have not been so bad. That's an mm-hmm. interesting point. If we had access to data, you know, if we had the internet back then and we knew what was going on, if we had access to the people, the card companies and all this, right, it was so mysterious back then. So great comment. I wonder if I wonder if it would have been. And this uh, Facebook user says, Adam, keep it up. And we're at the end of the comments, which is a bit of a relief because I want to get to a couple more things before we do wrap up the show. We're we're, we're down to about 12 minutes left. So I'm just going to go through my notes here. We talked about market cap, rare cards versus commodity cards. I think we didn't really touch on it in isolation, but we've covered it a lot. I think we should do a quick summary, though, about what we were thinking in terms of that. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it even at all is because Adam is like carrying the flag on this thing. I've seen him talk about it so many times that he only collects cards that are hard to find. That's what drives him in the hobby is finding is the chase and the hunt for a card. Whereas it's anyone on any day can go online and buy a Michael Jordan Fleer rookie. You can go online and buy a Kobe Bryant tops, chrome a Zion Williamson prism, a Giannis Prism. You can go buy these cards any day you want, a LeBron Tops Chrome, but it's hard to find those rare pieces. And that's what really gets Adam's juices flowing in terms of the hobby. Adam, can you just say a few words about rare cards versus commodity cards?
1: Well, you know, if I'm to guess what your listeners are going to feel, my guess is most of them are in line. You know, most of them feel like the chase is a really important part of this. But to people who are more, I don't want to. I don't want to belittle people who are who, who collect things that are easy to find because again, I think you should collect what you like. But what's more fun, you know, finding the golden ticket, or just finding the thing that just anybody could go get anytime? We all know the answer to this, right? That's why certain cards are so sought after, is because you can't find them and you 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 go years without seeing them. If you were to look at my top 10 cards and say, okay, tell me why you like each of these, tell me how, you know, tell me why they're your top 10 cards. It's because most of them don't ever, ever sell publicly. Like most of them haven't sold publicly in many years. That's what's fun. Once you find a card like that, you hold on to that card because once you let it go, you never get it back, right? Having said that, that doesn't always mean that it's the best thing financially, but. Um, but at least if, if everything falls apart, if our entire economy goes to nothing, if cards are worth nothing in the end, I'll have a bunch of stuff that I love that if, even if I, if I wanted to go find them after they were worth nothing, I, no one
0: would be able to find them. You know, and you just said, um, you know, that, uh, you know, if we hit a financial crisis sort of, well, we've had them before, but sorry, if. You said it's you said that it may not be the most financial, the, the best financial decision to buy the most the more rare card. But I think we have to keep in mind that it's still a hobby, right? We're still though many of us are still collectors. We're collectors who are investors by default in this hobby. And that's that's the category I fall into. It's the category you fall into. Collector first, investor second. So, you know, even though it may not make the most financial sense, it may make the most sense in terms of just your enjoyment of the hobby enjoyment of your life so there's something to be said for that the other thing about the 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 commodity cards as I refer to them as is that they're also easier to sell I think they're easier to sell because that's the nature of a commodity there's always people looking for them and the people that trade in the commodity cards recognize that it's easy to get it's easy to sell you can go in and out of them Day, you can day trade these things and it, and we're, we're seeing a lot of day traders in the hobby right now that are looking for the what's hot now and you, you see all sorts of videos we talk about all the time. You see all sorts of content out there. Five cards you should buy before the season starts. I think I just saw a video titled that just today. So, you know, there's all sorts of ways to approach a hobby, collecting, investing and, and all the hybrids throughout them. Let's get through our comments here. Um, Jay welcomes is talking about XRCs. The, the Luwells Alcindor XRC is the 1968 Mira Tudo sport, which is funny because, you know, I prefer his tall boy tops rookie. I don't even know what Mira Tudo sport here. And I don't even care what it is because I can tell it's not a mainstream release. So it's still, I'm not saying it's not cool, but it's just not for me. I want the, I want a, a, a nice high grade or highest grade rare copy of a card that is iconic. And the, the, the Lou Alcindor Tallboy is an iconic card in my mind.
1: So I would just jump in and say, I think you're right. I actually like the Mira Tuto Sport. In fact, I have a Will Chamberlain from that set, which is a, it's different because it's not an XRC. But this is why, you know, people will say, I've said this before, people will say when it comes to rarity and, and being iconic, iconic wins. And my argument to that is the Griffey. Upper Deck rookie is maybe like one of the best known cards of all time. It's maybe the most one of the most iconic cards of all time. What you really want to do is you want to find a card that is both really rare and really iconic.
0: And if if you can if you can find both of those things together, that's that's really what wins. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Simon says I'm super jealous about him. He has my all time favorite card, the MJ, the Michael Jordan Medal Championship PMG. Amazing card. Yeah. So, and I've seen that card in, I think I got to hold that card in hand when I met you at the national last year, Adam. Okay, guys, this has been awesome. We're, we're going to, we're going to whip off the sports cards live five final questions right now. First question, Adam, I hope you have it handy. Favorite card in your personal collection. Not Favorite
1: card in my collection is my 1968 Tops Test Wilt Chamberlain. Tops Test Wilt Chamberlain. Do you have it available to show? I would have, but I'm filming from work, and I actually like had to go. F- I went fishing with my family, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to have that sort of thing in in you know in a difficult spot for people. Yeah, you, yeah, what I'll say is you know it's the very first regulation size Topps Wilt Chamberlain card. It's the only Wilt Chamberlain Philadelphia 76er card, the only one, literally the only one ever made, and there's like twelve or fourteen copies known to exist in the world. So that's
0: Truly yeah. a rare, rare. piece. That's like a, that's like a Honus Wagner type of card, right? Like it just probably not as, as as valuable as it should be by now. OK, next question. What is your highest priority attainable want card? A lot of people say what, you know, the qu- typical question is what's the number one card you, that you want to own? I want to know what's at the top of your list of cards that you are reasonably going to be able to attain in the semi near future.
1: It's a hard question to answer because you don't want to tip people off to it. And rare cards are such where to let people know, you know, it it probably wouldn't be necessarily a good thing. But what I would just say is I have a couple of uh, Kobe
0: Bryant cards that I'm actively looking for that if I was to come
1: across would be the ones that I would be most interested in acquiring.
0: And I, I respect that answer. I know it's a bit risky to answer it if you're someone who chases super rare cards and hey, We've got people watching. You never want people to hold things hostage on you. Number okay. three, what's your favorite place to buy cards?
1: My favorite place to buy cards is from people who have owned them, love them, and so just directly buying from people who have owned them, love them, but are, are ready to cash out and make a huge payday. That's the best. Um, some of my best cards are cards where people are like, I bought this for X or my, you know, so-and-so bought this card for X and this is what and you know, I don't know what it's worth now. Being able to go and be be able to be like, hey, I'm gonna make your day. I'm gonna go make you a ton of money in this situation. That's always an amazing feeling.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I, I hear you. I'm I, I I feel the same way, kind of in the opposite way, though. When I sell a card sometimes, I, I I if it's a card that was once in my personal collection and I'm and I've like upgraded or something and I'm willing to sell it. Uh, I want and it's a card I've had for a long time I'm going to screen you as a buyer before I'm going to sell it to you I'm going to find out what kind of collection is it joining what other cards are in this collection, you know That's awesome. Okay question four and this is the one that could take a while So try and be as succinct as you can if you could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? You warned me about this one beforehand
1: I um the thing that 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 I'm just gonna be really honest here, and a lot of people aren't gonna like this. I care more about the rarity of a card and what is so and what's unique about it and what it stands for than I do about whether it has the most perfect edge or the most perfect corner. I choose rarity, true card rarity over condition rarity a hundred times out of a hundred. Um I should say 99 times out of hundred. I have a couple of Wilt Chamberlains that are, that I really like because of their condition. Um, but I, I wish that people would think less about the specific details of the condition of a card and think more about um, what they actually know about, about, about the rarity of the card. I think if there's one thing that's overrated in the hobby today, it's how much of a premium people put on something because of what a greater thought, you know, while they were having a good day or while they were having a bad day. We know, and this is, this is undoubtedly true, we know that cards will be set into grading companies and graded differently based on the day. We know that. We know that the difference between a nine and a 10 is really, really small. And sometimes it's zero. So I wish that people would kind of see that the same way that I see it, which is it doesn't really matter a lot. Um, and the, the actual, like, the idea of buy the card, not the grade, um credit to uh, logo man shark on instagram who used to put that post that all the time on blowout
0: um i think i think that's
1: that's where i land too
0: yeah i'll comment a little bit on that um so i think uh i think i have two thoughts the first one is that condition is more important when you're talking about a commodity card where there's thousands of them out there and available and you want to set yourself apart that's where condition is important second comment i'll make is that i'm with you though i will (laughs) choose owning a rare card over owning that uh, that has some some issues with it over owning a common car that is gem mint condition and i know it's what are you comparing there but and where i learned that the first time i really even thought about it was when uh, and uh, an elite collector we've already talked about tonight uh nat turner when in the, i think march of 2019 he purchased the pmg green so from 1997 fleer metal i believe the Uh, The precious metal gems green out of 10 Michael Jordan in a PSA authentic holder where it was it was apparently the card was trimmed and he still bought that card for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a card that was trimmed. It wasn't even a PSA one or two. It was a PSA authentic. And I thought to my and I saw him talk about it on Josh's Cardboard Chronicles where he's just like, I had to have the cards. I don't care the the, you know, I don't want to like stepped on, rolled up, and scrunched up and flattened out again. But I I had to own one of the 10 copies. I know where five others are. I'm not going to get them. I had to own a copy of the card. I don't care about the condition. I don't even care that it's been trimmed. And I'll tell you, that really hit home with me because it may it opened my eyes to the the idea of sometimes just owning the card that we covet. Is more important than the condition it's in or even if it was altered along the way I'm not saying I buy I, I want to own altered cards but sometimes you know I do have an altered card it's out of two I bought it not knowing it was altered I sent it off to PSA they wouldn't grade it because I said no qualifiers now I'm going to send it back and I'm going to allow it to be qualified it had a touch up of color on the corner it's an essential credential Sidney Crosby out of two well I still want it in a slab and I don't care that it's going to say PSA authentic on it yeah, someone took a colored marker to it down here on the corner. I don't care it has a colored marker. I don't care it was touched up. I own the card that's out of two, and that makes me happy.
1: I can't think of anything stupider than altering a card that's numbered to two. And whoever did that, the a total idiot. Like, the, the, only, the only thing that matters on a card like that is that it exists and that you have it. Like, even if it's got a crease in it or whatever, guess what? There's only one more, right? So, and, and again, this is just my take but I want the rare thing. Give me the rare thing. Even if it's be. you said, even if it's been crumpled up and flattened out again, I'd rather have that than have the, than have the thing that's easy to find. Because if, if there's only one of them or there's only two of them, that's the only way that I can sort of fill my, you know, fill my set.
0: So I, i, think I, I, I oh, sorry. sorry. If you think about a card that's been crumpled up and flattened again, look at the Honus Wagner PSA one that just sold for over a million bucks. That thing looked like it was falling apart. So people are obviously going to spend money on the rarity. Yeah. Let me make one last point on this. And
1: that is, it goes back to the Wilt Chamberlain and why it's my favorite card. My, my Wilt Chamberlain 1968 Topps test card. Let me tell you a few things about it. One, it has been crumpled up. It's got several creases in it. Two, it has a mark on it. So not only is it a PSA one, but it's a PSA one with a qualifier. It's a PSA one MK. Guess what? You don't know anybody else who owns one. It's just me. And that's because there's only such a few of them out there. Like they are in the most serious collector's hands and I will never get a shot at another one of them. Another one hasn't been sold in the last decade publicly. Like I own it and it's a really important card. And I couldn't care less of, you know, I mean, obviously I would like it to be in better condition. That would be great, but it doesn't matter to me the condition compared to just the fact that I own the card. And so, yeah, that's the thing I would change. In the hobby.
0: Rarity. It comes down to rarity, guys. Rarity is r- rarity rules at the end of the day. Rarity rules. OK, let's keep on going. Uh, question number five. What is your bigot? And you can do two your biggest hobby regret in terms of a purchase and or a sale. Um, my biggest hobby, I don't have a lot of things that I bought that I regret. That's, it's weird to say, but I really don't. I really have very few things that I bought that I, that I regret. So you, I can story. You, you can also answer with any, th- your biggest regret that you didn't buy.
1: Oh man, I've got a lot of
0: those. I sure got- that's, a, that's not a great question considering where we are right now in the hobby, but I'll let you, an- I'll let you answer with what you were planning with. And then we'll go on to a few comments. I'll do card of the day and we'll wrap up. Well, I will just say that
1: I, you know, I've been in the hobby, like I said, for thirty years, and I've known I've known a lot of people in the hobby, and I've been ha- I've had lots of opportunities to buy a lot of things over the years. I had the chance to buy basically everything, right? Um, the card that I regret selling the most, though, um, there's two of them, and and I can't I can't decide which one, so I'm gonna have to give you both. I owned one of the three known Wilt Chamberlain autograph rookie cards. I owned it for. A couple of months. And then the guy who was putting together the set in the PSA DNA messaged me and he got on the phone with me and he was this honest, sincere, wonderful human. His name's Mike. And he wanted to finish that set and he needed my card. And that's, that's the sort of person that I cave to. Cause like you, Jeremy, I want my cards that I love to go to homes, right? I want to sell it to the end user who's going to own it forever. And Mike is going to own that card forever. And if I was going to sell it to anybody, it would be him. The other one um, ended up in the great Philip G-O-Z, I think is uh, in, in his Instagram. Um, he's the best Kobe collector. He's got to be the best Kobe collector in the world, if not the one one of them. Um, and before I started really collecting Kobe back in 2016, I acquired one of his very best cards in existence, his eminence championship tag, which is signed with an inscription that says uh, uh, five times champs. So the, the tag on it says the Lakers 16 times and then down below he signed it five times champs it's just the perfect kobe card and i still have one of the cards he traded me for it and it's one of my favorite cards but like that is a perfect example card number two i will never get another chance at it and it's gone and i love that card and i'll always regret moving it
0: all right man That's the, that's the sports cards live five questions. Thank you for that. A couple comments have been trickling in. Jordan says, uh, I agree. Just love having a card regardless of condition. Hashtag binder life. I love it. Uh, Alex says, how about the aesthetics beauty of a card for a price factor? And I mean, I'll just, I'll just, and this is going to be a perfect lead in to my card of the day. And as you guys, if you've been watching my card of the day is a card from my personal collection. And I try and relate it to my guest for the evening in some way. Um, and I think there is a, to, to Alex's comment here, I think that prettier cards, cards that more people find to be visually appealing, will sell for more money. Um, because more they're just nicer to look at. You know, I will I will only rarely buy a card that I don't like the looks of. And the only reason I'll do it is if I deem it to be an important card, maybe I didn't like the design of the rookies that year, but I need that guy's rookie card. That's the only time I'll buy a card. I don't like the looks of. So I think it makes sense. Okay. I think, I think uh, unless Adam, unless you want to say something about that, I'll, I'll reveal my card of the day. And it's the All right. So this is a card guys that, that I love. It's probably the best card I own. So it's, it's I'm coming out swinging here tonight. Um, and it's a card that I bought in, uh, I picked it up in January. I bought it from a fellow who had purchased it and only owned it for a couple of weeks before he realized that it's something else came out he needed. And he was willing to sell it, but he wasn't willing to lose money on it. And I had to pay him for what he paid, plus his shipping, plus to ship it to me. So at the time, I think I bought it for maybe more than one had had sold for in the past. But the reason I bought it, one of the reasons I bought it, number one, it's an iconic card but number two, I held one in hand at the national last year when I met Adam and Adam had a, had a, a small box of cards, like a 400 count box basically. And in it, he had, I don't know, a dozen to 20 cards and he let me look through them. And it was the, the who's who of, uh, of, of Jordan cards. So I saw it and it's a card I thought was unattainable. I'd never own it, but I wanted it badly because of, how beautiful it is and what what the card means in the hobby and uh i ended up acquiring it i guess five or so months later but if i never held it in hand if i never held adam's copy in hand in august of 2019 i don't know that i ever would have picked it up terry fortune knows what i'm talking about it is the 1997 ex 2001 jambalaya michael jordan it's in a 9.5 holder and uh you know Alex's question, speaking about the aesthetics and beauty of a card, yeah, this card has everything going for it, and especially the way Jordan is like leaping off the card. It's not, the the video doesn't do it justice. That's a bright orange and a really bright green. It's got a lenticular uh, uh, feature to it, almost like a three D action going on. Just an amazing card. I love it. It's got three nine fives and a 10 for subgrade. So it's a, it's better than a true gem. It's true gem plus, I think I could call that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's my card of the day and it's probably my card of the year for that matter. So really, Are are you happy you bought it? Did you make a good financial decision? Well, look at the smile on my face right now. I do love the card. and Part of that smile is, is, is based on what's happened to that card since I bought it. I mean, when I bought it, I I probably broke a record for what was ever paid for that card in a nine point five. If you look at what one just sold for, that wasn't the subgrades, lower subgrades, than what I have, it sold for almost double what I paid. So, yeah, it was. I mean, if I were to sell it, I'd I'd make I'd make a nice handful of money. Um, but it's not for sale. It's it's staying with me. I love the card. It it represents so much to me for, in this hobby. It represents. It represents this new phase of the hobby that I entered into a couple of years ago when I got into some of this some when I got into some 90s cards and some more basketball outside of just Hall of Fame rookies. And it also represents new friendships in the hobby for me, new new platforms in the hobby for me. So yeah, I I love the card for sure. Okay.
1: Can I cut
0: it? Yeah, please. <coughs> Go Excuse quick. Though,
1: Go quick. Um it's uh it's I talked earlier about when iconic meets rare and you have in your hand and in your possession, like just inarguably one of the greatest Michael Jordan inserts, Um, a card that is available publicly maybe two to three times a year that will increasingly become more difficult to find Um, that was inserted into a pack, a product that's one of the greatest sort of products of all time. And the artwork on there is perfect. And yours is in better condition than mine and in better condition than almost anybody's. It's one of the nicest ones in the world and you own it. And like, to me, that's just a card. Like I've had a lot of offers for mine. I just have no interest in selling it because it's just a really important card. And when you compare that with stuff that you can just go out and find at any time, I just sit there and just kind of go, okay. Like people can keep buying that stuff. But that card you have there, that is the Michael Jordan insert. And it might not be the most valuable. It's probably not the most valuable, but it is the Michael Jordan insert,
0: in my opinion. It's its my, it represents. So even in just in terms of the, the design, like you said, the design and the if the effects that they used at FLIR back in those years. Okay. Uh, we're going to run through the comments and we're going to sign off. I want to, uh, and, and uh, Jake will certainly appreciate that card as a 90s basketball card expert. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Jake, for the comment. Great chat, as always. Really appreciate that. Simon, no after hours tonight. After hours is only on Saturdays. I work tomorrow. Terry knew I was bringing out the jambalaya. So did Simon. Jeff says, not into basketball, but really enjoyed the show. Love this channel. Thank you, Jeff. That warms my heart. Thank you so very much. Jake, hell yeah. I knew you'd like that. Simon, the bombs are going off. Legion, well, thank you for joining, as always. Simon says that is true card porn. I think that says it very well. That is true card porn. All right guys, this has been a lot of fun. We're only 10 minutes into overtime. I thought we could have got a lot we, we could have gone a lot further Adam, but let's 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 uh, wrap things up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you to Adam for joining me. Man, you're an awesome guest. I want to schedule you again for like 3 months down the road and have you on once a quarter because the discussions and the, the viewership is strong. The, the comments and questions from the viewers are always on point and well thought out. Really love it. Absolute says, thanks for the great show, guys. Hey, we work and it's 12, 12 a.m. Hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel. Thank you. Carlos says, thanks for coming by, Adam. Great stuff. Agreed. Again, thanks to you. Thanks everybody for viewing. If you haven't subscribed, please do. I'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, Sorry, on Saturday with John Newman from Sports Card Nation and Hobby Hotline next Wednesday with tonight's participant, Jordan Hagedorn, Brett Favre, super collector, NFL agent, marketer extraordinaire. Looking forward to that one. Alex says, completely agree with the rarity sentiments. Also rare that I got outbid by both of you on items in the last few weeks. That's hilarious. Hey, great minds think alike as they say. So again, thank you everybody so much for joining this has been really fun adam you are a great guest we are going to we're going to book you in right now so stay right there everybody else we will see you soon thanks everybody for joining this was a ton of fun good night